We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. We're here. I wish I could give this feeling. I wish I could give this feeling. What up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Corner Podcast. This week's episode of The Corner is brought to you by Casper Mattresses. Casper is an online retailer of premium mattresses for a fraction of the cost. You know me and Andreas are always covering events, we're always writing articles, but when we do have time to sleep, we lay our head down on a nice, pillowy soft premium mattress from Casper Mattresses. Casper is revolutionizing the mattress industry by cutting the cost of dealing with resellers and going straight to you. No showrooms, no middleman. Everyone's seen those creepy guys trying to follow you around the department store. None of that anymore. You get your hands on a nice premium mattress by going straight to Casper Mattresses. Yeah, man. I mean, I, I got to get my rest. So Casper Mattresses is the, is the goods. I'm telling you right now. So listen. You can get $50 off of any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com backslash the corner and entering the promo code the corner. That's one word, the corner. That's casper.com backslash the corner, promo code T H E C O R N E R. Terms and conditions apply. What up, everybody? Shout out to the sponsors. Welcome to another episode of the Corner Podcast. Andreas isn't here this week, even though you get to hear his voice a little bit on no sponsorship ads. But I am joined today by Brett Lawson of RunRebs.com. He covers UNLV football and basketball. But, of course, he's here to talk MMA because that's what he does as well. You know, aspiring MMA guru, uh, working his way up in the world. (laughs) Yeah, no, and I've been on the corner a couple of times, but it's been a while. I believe the last time was the uh, 194 post-show in the immediate aftermath of the 
13-second knockout of Jose Aldo by uh, Conor McGregor. So ever since then, what, December 14th, I believe that was, I've kind of been in the shadows. Finished up my degree doing some stuff here and there with uh, UNLV football and, of course, ESPN Las Vegas and the Las Vegas Sports Network covering combat sports. So I'm excited to be uh, to be back on. I'm no Andrea Taylor, that's for sure, but I think I can make do here today. It's been a while since we had just us two on the show, like right. a year and a half, because those episodes were even like scrum episodes. So we had you, uh, members of the Reverse Rat Pack were in the house, Ryan <laughs> McKinnell, everyone. Um, right. Yeah, yeah. So it's good. Good to have you on the show. We got to do yeah, what we I'm, do I mean, best. I'm returning, the, I'm, I'm returning the favor of all the times you would help me out and you know, bailed me out of jam for my show back in Iowa when, yeah. you hopped on, when you hopped on the air with me. So returning the favor for you, Kel. All right, so let's jump right into combat sports. Um, actually, before we, before we do that, you know, obviously we're having more stuff in our society and around the U.S. Uh, the title of this show, just so I can explain it real quick before we jump into combat sports, is the take a knee and protest episode, just because we've, me and Andreas past couple of weeks, we talked about all the stuff that's going on, Kaepernick, we've really dived into that, but I just wanted to make sure that there's action even behind our words. So you can't see us, so there's no television, there's no cameras, but the title of the podcast lets you know, like, you know what, we would be taking a knee too if we were on the sideline. Not in, you know, protest of our military and all that stuff like we talked about before, but just in solidarity for everyone and just the unjust that's going on and stuff we saw earlier in the week, which were just crazy. Um, so that's the name of our episode for this week. That is why it's the name. That's why we don't have one of our clever, funky episode names this week. It's because we're just shining a light on that for this episode. But moving forward, we have boxing to talk about. Leading off the show with boxing, something we haven't done in months. But you're here, Brett, so you, you know what? I was like, let's change it up. Let's lead off with boxing. I like it. I like it. And, you know, there's plenty to talk about. That's what's so interesting. And it, it kind of worked perfectly how, obviously, the super fight that is in everyone's uh, fantasies and everyone's dreams that we just are so desperately longing for, but we don't know what, uh, what we're going to get as we'll elaborate uh, upon, I'm sure, in the next few minutes with that Canelo Alvarez hand injury. But, um, you know, you look at the past two weekends, Gennady Golovkin, Canelo Alvarez, back-to-back anticipation starting to build this injury is definitely a bump in the road of, of what was already a long shot to happen at least i guess you could say in the direct immediate near future so it, it is kind of a little blow there but it's cool to me at least how in this narrative that we're trying to build up you know as members of the media of course plenty of boxing fans and enthusiasts alike are also trying to build this up we know how big both of these two fighters fan bases uh, really are and how they continue to grow year in and year out. So it's, it's, a, it's a fun time to talk boxing, and it's interesting we do open up the show with it because in the past couple of weeks, it really has been relevant because the two biggest superstars we've, we've been able to see, and despite, you know, they've been tested recently, whether you talk about Alvarez and Khan, then Smith was able to get some shots in late, and they're about on Saturday, despite Canelo pulling through with the victory. Honestly, Kel Brook looked um, pretty, pretty damn good in defeat. Uh, through five against Golovkin the week before. So plenty to talk about and a lot of intrigue going around. You know what? As boxing fans, we're a glutton for punishment. I'm just, right. at this point, I'll take that. I know it. We went through this for, what, five years with Mayweather and Pacquiao? And then we finally get that fight, and the next thing we do is create another Mayweather-Pacquiao. Yep. Another must-see fight right now. Why isn't it happening? Why isn't it happening? It's like, man, we know that we just went through this for five years. 
Just be happy when it happens. It's not going to happen when we want it to happen. There's going to be an injury here, a failed negotiation there. Someone's going to want to be the A side when they're really the B. You know, it's so many moving parts. It's not going to happen when we want it to happen. People, if you're trying to book your flights already and rooms for next May, Cinco de Mayo, Canelo Alvarez will be in Las Vegas. He is not going to be fighting Triple G. Not to burst your bubble. It's just not happening. Exactly. And and you know what it is, too? It's, it's, it's funny because, like I said, it's something that was already a long shot to happen directly in front of us simply because of the powers that be. And, you know, you could whether some people uh, have the philosophy or the approach, you know, always let them fight. Some people, you know, take the more business, uh, the more business financial side of it and think like the promoters. There, there are a lot of people may be thinking like Oscar De La Hoya. But at the same time, I think deep down even those people – still want to see these people fight. I, I think deep down, Canelo, I don't think he's dodging Triple G. I think he wants to fight Triple G, even though obviously that's a different discussion for a different day as far as the matchup itself of how that fight would actually go for uh, Canelo Alvarez at this point of his career. But it looks like he's willing to take on the challenge. Golovkin and all the powers that be on his side, along with Golden Boy promotion. It's almost boxing in microcosm in a way. Because think about it. Like you said, we want to find the next big fight. Well, think about it, the last big fight. Think about how long the last big fight took to get there. Now, I don't think we're going to have to wait that long to where both fighters really are past their prime and no longer I will necessarily – I mean, I'm not going to say Mayweather and Pacquiao weren't relevant of the time of May of 2015, but boy, did that fight lack the potential uh, sizzle it would have if it would have happened years later. And that, that's not a hot take for me. Any boxing fan or any boxing you know, pundit would say that as well. And I don't think we're going to see that with a fight like this, but we are definitely going to have to pump the brakes and wait a little bit. And, you know, again, it does kind of sting, but it allows for, for more anticipation to build. And now we just got to hope when the bout is finally confirmed and when the two do throw down, you know, that big-time uh, premier middleweight matchup, then, then it'll be interesting to see how it goes given the time, the extra time allowed until it actually, you know, happened. I love that social media immediately pointed towards the Smith fight and was like, look, Canelo's going to beat Triple G. Look how well he did. Look at Triple yeah. G got hit so much. Look at what Canelo's doing. It's like Smith lasted with Triple G. Or excuse me, with Canelo. Smith had mm-hmm. some good rounds. Canelo wasn't like a world beater. Once again, the bigger man outlasted the smaller guy. And to me, Canelo is obviously the bigger man. And the body punches caught up, you know, just wearing him down throughout the fight. Smith couldn't hold, but Triple G is used to getting hit by bigger guys. He's yeah, used we, to fighting we, at 160. These are guys, right. Canelo still hasn't fought anyone that's fought at 160. Like, primarily a 160 fighter. At most, he's fought two true 154-pounders. That's it. So, just for people to say, oh, look, Triple G's... Going to get exposed. Kel Brook couldn't last more than five rounds. And he's faster than Canelo. And probably a more skilled, pure boxer than Canelo. And he only lasted five rounds. I don't see how... It's going to be competitive, obviously. But there's a lot of people already just riding off Triple G. Like, they want him to be, you know, a a one-hit wonder. They want him to be something that's not that good. People swear he's just all hype. It's like, no, this guy is the real deal. And I think a lot of that is because 
Canelo Alvarez as currently the biggest draw in boxing and undoubtedly, um, at least in the next couple of years on this horizon, who will be the biggest draw in boxing. I think people want that Gennady Golovkin fight to truly be his coming out party, to be his coronation. You know, you get Delahoy, you get Golden Boy Promotions. They, they, they coronate this guy as not only, you know, the face of modern boxing, but the guy who beat the hype. That was Triple G, a guy who, who didn't, doesn't get knocked down, doesn't get defeated, and defeats people in just absolutely brutal, borderline crippling fashion, really, when you see what this guy just does to people. He, like you said, a good scientific, technical boxer like Kel Brook. And, you know, uh, Canelo has displayed traits. We know he likes to... He likes to stand there off and let people press him. He necessarily doesn't back up because he's not that kind of fighter, but he's not necessarily a swarmer either. He's going to plant his feet and try to, you know, hit you with counterboxing. And as that fight progressed on Saturday against Liam Smith, I try to pinpoint kind of where that hand injury came into place. And you see kind of in those middle rounds, he really starts going to that left, whether it be the, the hooks to the body, the hooks up high, multiple uppercuts with the left underneath in sequence. And his te- the, the technique... The, the, the combinations, all those things, when you watch him, he's still, every time I see him, despite being tested against Amir Khan and being tested against Lynn Smith, I think even, even with all, uh, when all that comes into play, he still is interesting to watch, and it is fun to watch him evolve, even though you also see this dynamic, a one that you just brought up a moment ago that I think is so incredibly interesting to me because Canelo, always big, powerful. He's a big, he's a bigger guy. He's a, he's a, a bulky middleweight, even though you know, he's just fighting that junior middleweight title WBO against Liam Smith. But, you know, you, you watch Canelo, and he is he, – he's a brick. He's a brick. And you look at Triple G, who is a smaller middleweight. Traditionally, by, you know, middleweight standards, he's not a big middleweight. And here you have Canelo struggling against smaller guys who he's been fighting the past couple of times. And Triple G, who, like you said, is used to fighting guys bigger, working inside, pummeling them, and then finishing them. So that dynamic almost negates the size difference because it shows their backgrounds how one fares good against opponents bigger than him because he's a uh, smaller middleweight and one who's a very jacked, athletic, natural, uh, just naturally gifted-looking middleweight. Because you look at Canelo. Canelo, and I'm not saying Gennady Golovkin does it. You look at Canelo, that dude looks like a specimen. He looks like a great athlete, even if you didn't know who he was just walking down the street. Now I guess any fighter ultimately does. But Canelo Alvarez has that body, and I think that's just another big reason why with the body, the knockout power, the appeal, the, the, the drawing power, the Mexican fan base, all these things come to play to make Canelo Alvarez a mega superstar, as they should. But Gennady Golovkin here is this, this X factor, and you talk about this dangerous X factor to where that size advantage... But I usually the secrecy helps. Usually the secrecy leans towards people saying, mm-hmm. okay, the n- number of knockouts, all this stuff... The casual fan doesn't know Triple G's resume. They barely know Canelo's resume. They just know that he fought Mayweather. So they see all these knockouts, all this stuff. It should lend to Triple G. Usually, fighters like Triple G, they get the nod. Usually, it's the guy like a Mayweather. Someone's always searching for the top guy to lose. Usually. In sports, you know, the McGregors, the Mayweathers. So even people with lesser resumes, like a Nate Diaz, that come in. When Mayweather, uh, people thought that he had close fights. He even had to rematch a few of them because people thought they were close. It's like, no, you let the, I guess, the lack of knowing these people's resumes creep in and give you hope that they can beat someone. If it happens, it happens. 
But well, for some reason think, with Canelo, think, he doesn't have that. Canelo right. is always the, no, he's not going to lose. What from Canelo shows that he's unbeatable? He lost. Everyone saw him lost, lose. People haven't seen Triple G lose. Usually those guys are the guys that people rally behind. And it seems like maybe there's overexposure for Triple G. Maybe it's worn thin. I don't know how. The guy fights three times a year and knocks everyone out. Canelo fights two, maybe. And half of those are cans. But even with that, like, people just don't seem to get behind Triple G. He was such a face that people soured to him. He might be John Cena. Right. Like, people you know just what? don't think, like him anymore. I think a lot of that has to do with the early exposure of Canelo Alvarez being thrust into that role in the fall of 2013 against Floyd Mayweather at a time where really people in that fight was an were just straight laughing or, you know, face-palming because he was nowhere near ready. And then you look at a guy like Triple G who just built this incredible resume of, of all these wins and knockout victories, plus an incredible amateur career where you actually mentioned that not too long ago when we were hanging out watching UFC 203. Uh, you even said that it's interesting how you look at amateur Golovkin and you look at the evolution into Golovkin modern day, and it, it just – it boosts the claim of how great of a fighter he is even further because it shows how he's grown and how he has kind of um, adapted his style depending on who he's facing throughout his career. And again, you said the, the, the knockouts, the, the finishes, that's what people like to see. We are indeed suckers for violence, and that's why it is kind of ironic how the fighter who just is, is the embodiment of all that kind of plays second fiddle to the guy who they're really trying to package um, as, as the face. And again, that's just kind of the way the system works and the way this whole narrative is starting to play out. It doesn't necessarily surprise me. I guess the only thing, if there were something that surprised me, would like, would like uh, to be exactly what you said, how the fans are reacting to it. And now that we're going to have to wait a little longer for the bout due to the injury, you got to wonder how the, how the fans and the different uh, allegiances play in a factor when the fight actually does happen. So a lot to a lot to look into, even though you know the gloves won't be put on and uh, and the bell won't ring for quite some time. No, you're absolutely right. But once again, the narrative is going to stay around. I feel like we're in for another two years of this, at right. least two yeah, years. That, that, uh, that sounds about right to me. We're I, not going to think. I mean, I, even before the injury, I didn't think it would happen anytime soon. Like if you're marking this on your calendar. And Sharpie, you know, with a big circle around it, like you said, or if you're booking tickets, just know you may see Canelo. You will see Canelo. You are not going to see Gennady Golovkin. So, yes, be excited, be optimistic, but be realistic because you're going to have to wait for a while. But hopefully when it finally happens, it is worth the wait, even though I'm sure right now we could easily pick who we would uh, – who we would think to win that bout. But again, we'll, we'll save that for when, you know, we actually get a bout that is announced. Yeah, it looks like, you know, obviously, like you said, Canelo's out, uh, which puts him on his usual timeline. So it's not like he's missing anything. Puts him on his usual timeline to next May. His hand can heal up. Triple G, on the other hand, we're looking at a possible Jacobs matchup for him in December. Which, yeah. that's going out with a bang. That's not an easy yeah, fight. Jacobs is a skill fighter. Once again, another true middleweight. That's one hell of a clash. And that fight has, on paper, as much potential as a Triple G Canelo fight. Fans should be Absolutely. just as excited. 
It will. And, you know, again, you look at Kell Brook. You look at Kell Brook, do different things. Landing counter shots, doing different combinations of things to throw Golovkin when he's trying to press and work his way inside as, as that, that this relentless infighter that he is. Daniel J- Jacobs, he sees that fight. He sees potential. He sees potential in his, in his game. A lot of other people do as well, obviously, in that matchup, as you just said. They actually stack up more favorably than a lot of people may first realize. And, you know, he watches that fight. He sees Kel, Kel Brooks find some success. And now he may try to expose Gennady Golovkin. And what happens if, if that goes down? What happens if these two throw down and, and, and Golovkin systematically with each fight even if he wins and even if he is no, nowhere near in a threatening position to lose, lose his belt uh, or lose any credibility, if he, each time, if he's taken some punishment and looking, I'm not going to say digressing, because obviously he is in the prime of his career, but at least have his opponents looking competitive against him, and if, he can, if a, a part of his game can be exposed, or at least uh, Jacobs could shed some light out on it, as, as Brooke did, you have a potential Barbara, like you said, even though the power and and the aggression of Triple G is an X factor to end any day, no matter who he's fighting and no matter how tough a guy's chin is. No, that is very true. This this next fight is going to show everything we need to see. That's it. Like from Triple G, he wins this next fight. The doubters have to just quiet it because Jacobs is very similar to Canelo. Um, moving down the line, 2017, 2016 is almost over. We're almost in 2016, but there's still time. This is the time where we start booking fights for next year, right. for 2017. This is where we get the, the rumblings and the hints of who's going to fight. PBC has been very quiet. Boxing's on an uptick, but PBC has been really quiet since they had the Thurman fight versus Porter. We haven't heard anything from them. Now, moving forward, Showtime has to get rolling. HBO, obviously, is putting on two huge fights in November. Oh, well, one. Pacquiao didn't get any sponsorship from HBO. So they're going their own route on it with top rank. But Pacquiao, a traditional HBO fighter, is coming back. And then, of course, we have... Uh, man, why does the other one slip my mind? Oh, Ward, Kovalev. Yeah, in November is, as well. Ward, Ko- Ward Kovalev, is, to me, is the fight. Whether you're, because there's a lot of boxing neophytes and, and uh, uh, newcomers out there, I don't think who realize the magnitude. And when I say magnitude, I mean it's in just, I guess, awesomeness and and intrigue going into that fight. Kovalev, a dangerous, dangerous fighter. Andre Ward, some may call him the best fighter on the planet. Some may call Chocolatito the best fighter on the planet. Obviously, that's an interesting debate. But boys, Ward up there, and Kovalev is a dangerous, dangerous man. We saw what he's been doing in his past couple of fights. I am absolutely, I'm stoked for that fight. So like you said, uh, some of the promotions now stepping their game up as we approach into the fall. But yeah, it's interesting because PBC, nothing, nothing too big. And you know, PBC looks like when they initially start, uh, started out, that crop of welterweights, they they really got behind them. We saw some some decent fights, even from the first one when when Thur- when Thurman threw down with Guerrero, and you know Guerrero's kind of the, uh, the stepping stone for PBC that we've seen He's the past the couple of months now. over the year or so. But we <laughs> turned out some good fights. Um, you know, not too long ago we saw Danny Garcia with a, with a with a nice performance against him. What was a pretty a pretty darn good fight. So PBC actually got off to a pretty interesting start. But yeah, it's definitely been a little stagnant as of late. But I'll just go ahead and answer your question. It would be Thurman Porter as far as what I'm most interested in seeing. Uh, obviously, Thurman 
made it clear that he wants to pursue, you know, the undisputed, uh, an undisputed title. That's what he wants next for his first next fight. And then the Porter rematch, obviously both are very open to it. Porter thinks he won the first one, which is an absolutely incredible fight. Um, if it's not match of the year, it's, it's right. It's, you know, second place. It's close. And, um, for just an absolute incredible fight. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, the welterweight title, whether it be, no matter what it be, uh, whether it be undisputed lineal, regardless of promotion, a welterweight title fight between two guys who match up incredibly interesting, not too long off of a, a great first bout in June. It, we, we're not going to see it uh, this year, but as, as far as, you know, in the spring of 2017, which is when the original one was supposed to take place this past year before, uh, you know, the car accident and all that, I, I think that would be great for an early thing of 2017 that really the seeds were planted for in 2016. So I don't know if that necessarily counts for your question as far as what fights you want to see made, you know, whether it be before the end of 2016 or at least just announced in 2016. No, it that's definitely, definitely counts. one of them. And I'm sure a lot of people really would agree. Yeah. Um, I mean, people love the first fight, so I'm sure people want to see it run back again. Uh, I want to see Errol Spence get a shot at someone big time. It's time for him to take a shot at one of the titles. I don't care if it's a, you know, Kel Brook coming back down. If, you know, he has to play the B side to a guy like Sean Porter. Um, he has to get someone legit. It's time. It's time for them to make Errol Spence Jr. Uh, a marquee name. Because they don't have time to wait until people are in their 30s. Uh, th- even Thurman versus Errol Spence Jr. would be a great fight. I mean, I could keep just naming 147-pounders where he'll just give them problems. Mm-hmm. So Errol Spence, I need to see get a good fight. And the fight I want to see made, you know, booked before the end of this year so we get a proper build heading into next uh, next spring is I want to see Roman Gonzalez go up all the way up to 127 and challenge Carl Frampton. Ooh. Undefeated, wow. undefeated. First fight at that weight, I don't want no buffer. I don't want Leo Santa Cruz, which would be an amazing fight, uh, you know, if Chocolate Tito was moving up. Uh-huh. That'd be a great, like, you know, first fight. An elite fighter, but coming off a couple losses. Not, I don't want to see Leo Santa Cruz, though. I want to see straight to the top. Champion versus champion. Frampton versus Roman Gonzalez for next year. The and guy's carrying his shows, own cards. It's time. That shows your depth, and that shows your depth of thinking when it comes to boxing, because those those uh, divisions, those fighters, often sometimes don't have the spotlight on them. That these guys that we've been talking about uh, the past couple of minutes, these marquee names, these marquee weight classes that are deeply rooted within the history of boxing, and rightfully so, due to the classic figures and and matches we've had in those divisions throughout the sports history. But you know, it's, it's 2016. Things change, eras change. Uh, all the talk about, about different divisions and how the intrigue is placed in the wrong and the, the focus and the excitement is placed in the wrong weight class and that, in a way, is hurting the sport. But you know what? If you turn out quality bouts uh, with world-class fighters and a matchup, a potential matchup like the one you just mentioned, those are the kind of fights that allow boxing to at least have a little bit of consistency, have some continuity to where you don't have to wait six months, five months, whatever, in between each uh, fight, whether it be high profile as far as popularity or not. These are the type of fights that you could, you know, if it's Wednesday, you could think, oh, wait, that's right. There's a good fight coming up this Saturday. My Saturday night's book. Oh, yeah. So those are the and, kind of fights that you get excited for. And it doesn't even have if, to be uh, PPV. Even if you're a newcomer. Yeah, if it doesn't you, have If to... you watch them and you, and you watch them once, sometimes that's all it takes. Yeah, it doesn't have to be pay-per-view by any means. You know, it could be 
uh, you know, Showtime fight, HBO fight, whatever it may be, HBO, probably, that's fine. Have it on HBO. But people will tune in because those are quality fights. And I just wrote an article. I wrote an article comparing um, the Cruiserweight Classic to the latest (laughs) season of The Ultimate Fighter. Because flyweights, and it's the way we're moving. It's excitement. It's lighter fighters. It's a different style. People are getting in tune to this all over combat sports. So the Cruiserweight Classic, it may be 205 and under what the WWE marketed it as, but all these guys were quote-unquote too small to be marquee wrestlers. And it blew up. And then the Ultimate Fighter now. This has been a great season so far. Looking for a challenger for Demetrius Johnson. 125 pounds. A weight class that shouldn't matter. But now we're getting a spotlight. We're getting more depth. They're giving it some time. And people are starting to learn to love it. And now boxing needs to follow suit. You have talented athletes at 125, the 130. Even Chocolatito, who is lighter than 120, 117 at one point. You have fighters down there who are great fighters. It's time to give them the spotlight. Just put it on them, see what they can do. And I'm telling you, it's the way, it's the pattern of 2016 rolling into 2017. The small guys are winning. Daniel Bryan's GM. He's changing the world. It's, and it's interesting, you know, if there's that, if there's that changing in the guard, because there's some people who just don't want to let, let it go. You know, boxing is heavyweights, boxing is middleweights, boxing is welterweights. You throw some cruiserweights and some, you know, some junior guys here and there. But basically, it's all mixed up together in, I guess you could say, from top to about h- halfway or so bottom as far as, you know, the main divisions people know of. And those, all those divisions underneath, they don't get a fair shake. These, these kind of fights are their opportunity to really show what these guys can do. And, again, it's interesting to see how boxing is now on, on, on cable television. And, again, they present Thurman Porter to, on a CBS platform, you know, PBC, able to get affiliation with all uh, multiple different networks in between uh, NBC, CBS, Spike. The, the, the network, the platforms, everything, it's expanding. But there's just something holding it back at the surface where it just can't break through. And I think a lot of that – is exposure as far as widening, um, widening the, the depth, the depth you have in divisions, getting more guys out there. Yes, there are certain guys you stick with and continue to feed them to the public, and that's all fine and dandy because no matter what sport we're going to talk about today, MMA, boxing, professional wrestling, you have to do that for your top draws and for your top stars. But here's the thing. You can't have a top star unless you have guys underneath them, right? So if you have guys underneath him, up and coming, maybe someday challenge a top star in, in that respective division if he's been running rough shot for a period of years. And how do you, how do you introduce the, the, the populace to those people early on? You get them out there. You, you, you promote them. You package them. Before you know it, people are tuning in to great fights. And the buzz is with some of these lesser-known guys who have all the pedigree that the big names do. Exactly. It's time for the little guys to get their shine. And that's what I hope to see in boxing. Before we move on now, we got MMA to talk about. UFC, UFC 205 is coming Uh up. It's taking shape. We're going to get into all of that. But real quick, listeners, you guys can help out the corner by taking this survey. You're going to hear all about it in this break that's coming up. Please support the show. It really means a lot to us. Right after the break, we're coming back with Combat Sports, so stay tuned. Listen up, because we need help putting out the show that you love for free every week, giving it free to the people, now we know nobody likes filling out surveys, but we really need you to do it. 
It won't take you more than five minutes, and besides helping out the show, you'll be entered for a chance to win a $100 iTunes gift card. You know what I can do with $100 on iTunes? I'm living life large on iTunes with that, and you guys get that just for helping us out. We know some of you may have already done surveys like this in the past, but we really need you to log in and fill this thing out as accurately as possible. Yeah, man. I mean, once we know more about you, we'll be able to deliver the show and the sponsors you dream about. Finding sponsors who are a good fit means we're going to give you the deals and information the brands you care about while keeping this show free to enjoy every week. Free to enjoy every week. It means you don't have to pay to subscribe for nothing. All right. If you don't care about helping us and making the show better, do it for the chance to win a free iTunes Amazon.com gift card. Right? You know, like do it for free. Do it for the gifts. And if there's not, you know, just think about it. If there's not that many of you doing it, there's a better chance to win. So please do us this solid and go to thecornersurvey.com. Once again, that's thecornersurvey.com. Do that. Keep the lights on for us. Let us cater to what you need. You know, you can tell us what you like and what you don't like, and then we can keep it all funky and knock this thing out. I know the Corner Club got our back. You guys are going to fill out that survey. We're going to get more ads. We're going to be bringing you this for free for a long, long time. So shout out to y'all. Once again, thank you for taking that survey. It means a lot to the show. Trying to bring you this content for free every week. And it really helps us out. Shout out to the Corner Club, social media, always interacting, always letting us know what's going on, letting me know what's going on with Bay. What's up, Sasha Banks? Um, thank you, guys. Uh, we're trying to have another fan appreciation episode as well. I'm planning it for next week. If we can't make it happen next week, definitely the following week. So make sure you hit us up on social media, at the Corner LSN on Instagram and on Twitter. You can hit me up personally, at Kel Dansby on any platform. Just send us a little message or a tweet, letting us know why you want to be on the show. I'm going to pick four guests. You guys can come on here, chop it up, whatever you want to talk about. Boxing, pro wrestling, uh, social protest, whatever me going on, whatever may be going on at the time. If you need, like, you know, girl advice, I'm pretty good at that, too. Trust me. I do it all. So make sure you guys hit us up so you can be on the show. It's your show as much as it is ours. So that's what we're doing coming up. But now we have to talk UFC and we have a UFC Brasilia card coming up. Uh, I always loved the Brazil cards. When I was single, I always wanted to go down there and cover them. I used to joke, like, man, I'm never coming back. Like, you guys are never seeing me. Now I got a girlfriend who listens to the podcast every week. So, uh, babe, I ain't going to Brazil anymore. Respect for our relationship. That's it. Brazil's, Brazil's out the window. Unless she comes with me, and then we can just roam around on the beaches. But, yeah, Brazilian women, too crazy down there. And this fight is headlined by a Brazilian woman. What This is mind-blowing, first of all. Two years ago, it, it comes back to my point. You tell Dana White that he was going to have a card on Fox Sports 1 headlined by a Brazilian woman, and that woman would happen to be Cyborg, who he crushed for failing a drug test, and he'd tell you to go jump off the stratosphere because he wouldn't believe that shit. But here we are today. No. Yeah, and that's so funny. It's hindsight does a lot. Because we mentioned woman, it wasn't that long ago when he said that woman would never fight in the UFC either. And then not too long after that, uh, well, I, I think it's safe to say the most popular female athlete, at least of the year 2015, um, you know, credit to all the other great ones out there who we have seen at a variety of sports, a variety of levels. It was Rousey due to that transcendent uh, multi-platform superstar uh, appeal. And, and just not to, and you know how much Dana and, co and company 
threw her out there not too long, really, in the grand scheme of things, of saying that women really have no place in the UFC. So what Dana says now may not always hold up a few years down the road. Listen, what Dana says now might not hold up two days about from now. About five minutes, about five <laughs> minutes from now. <laughs> and we'll talk about that here coming in a second because I think Dana lied to us again. But right now, UFC Brasilia, Cyborg is cutting crazy weight for this fight. 23 pounds, 24 pounds she had to cut from Monday wow. to Friday to make weight. Her doctor, her oh. nutritionist, not a doctor, her nutritionist is coming out, put her on some like crazy birth control method to cut the weight. It's bananas what she has to do. She put out a video last time when she cut down to 140. She's crying like during the weight cut. like Her body's just rejecting it. It's not natural for her to get down this low. And for some reason, Dana is so against 145. When half of his 135 roster used to fight at that weight. I don't understand mm -hmm. it. You know what? If you don't want to give her a title, I guess the big thing is we're not going to create a title for Cyborg. Even though he did it for Ronda. But Dana does a lot of wild shit for his friends. So double standards galore in UFC. But you don't want to mm -hmm. create a title? Cool. Just create the division. I don't care about the title. Enough of the catch yeah. weights. There is no catch weight if you don't have a higher division. No, no exactly. Thing is and, the and the division is the necessity because everyone talked about just a year back when the when Cyborg's uh, you know set to make her, or at least there was talks of her you know getting her in when she was just killing people left and right in these Invicta fights. And that was a talk, you know, is it going to be a catch fight, uh, or is, it, is the fighter going to be at a catch weight? Oh, Rousey shouldn't have to chase her, or, you know, b uh, bump up a few pounds. She's the champion. Cyborg needs to drop. Yada yada yada. Obviously, that's a non-factor now due to the nature of that of that bantamweight division, but the fact there is no division as of right now, like you said, some of these fighters um, in that 135-pound uh, um, crop started there or at least had fought there at some point. Cyborg not only has made her bones there, she became the baddest ass you can see in all of uh, women's MMA. Because, yeah, Rousey may have had that mainstream appeal, and then Holly Holm had the one-hit wonder appeal, but quietly, really, in the background, Cyborg's just been absolutely wrecking people in fashion that you look at and you almost cringe because, wow, she is an absolute machine of destruction. And you shouldn't have to take a machine of destruction and force them to do these unhealthy things where their body can't, can't take it. And even with the wins that she continues to pile up, the fact she has to do this all the time with these bouts, and then she steps into the cage and she's like a welterweight. It shows that something on the on fight night, it shows that something clearly isn't right here and something needs to be modified because this can't be good for a human body no matter what they do, whether they're a fighter or not. Let her fight at 145. If the women are too scared to fight her at 145, then she doesn't take fights. She's not with your promotion exactly. Then she goes back down to Invicta. But Dana yeah. wants his cash cow and he wants them to do what he wants them to do. At this point, she can't get caught up in, hey, I just want to fight for the UFC, what it means, because she'll fall into Donald Cowboy Cerrone territory where they bounce you around and truth be told, they set you up for failure and you're just never going to hold a belt because you can't be a company person and do what's best for you in the UFC. We've seen this. That's why Connor doesn't do it. That's why John Jones has turned down fights. That's why Dana sours to these people because they're not yes-men. But to have a great career in the UFC, you can't be a yes-man. GSP wasn't a yes-man. All the people who had long runs at the top weren't yes-men. Even Anderson Silva wasn't a yes-man. You have to be comfortable first and be at your top potential and then fight. 
So I understand she just needed a foot in the door, but this has to be her last, last time at 140. Make the fights 145. He should give her a belt because she has the potential of being a bigger draw or as big of a draw as Ronda Rousey because she's knocking people just out, knocking people out just as fast. More could dominant fashion. The, she, she's more Tyson. could they package her and promote her the same way they did to Rousey? You can even promote... With, even, with the, even with the style. Even with the style. Does, does Cyborg have enough of the, the likability to... I, and I know I say that ironically because Rousey, when she started, let's not remember, she was very much the villain. No one liked her gradually over time due to the knockouts and or the submission finishes and the fact that she was just everywhere. People kind of jumped on board. It's interesting you say that now that and now that you got to wonder Cyborg's doing that as well in even more violent, dominant fashion. Uh, yeah, she seems she she has personality whether you like it or not because she likes to trash talk. She likes to intimidate people. So it's interesting. And I when and I, when I asked, I was really just one of those fun hypotheticals. You know, if if they were to create a division or were to create a strap for uh, for Cyborg, could they take the next level and and put her in the in that that upper upper echelon of of UFC faces easily you can one to steal wrestling terms she has to be a monster heel she has to be imposing and eerie and you can't give her good clean cut promos like no you have to make her out to be what she is and that is a <laughs> monster in the cage she's an amazingly nice person outside of the octagon though as a person, she might be a nicer person all around than Ronda Rousey. But that's not the image that you can have with her for her to sell. You have to market her as the... She has to be Godzilla. She has to be King Kong. She has to be something otherworldly. These little 135-pound, 145-pound women quiver at the fact of facing her. You have to scour your entire division to get her an opponent because she just kills everyone. She's the one woman that scared Ronda Rousey. Like, this is what you have to say. Ronda ran from her. You have to use all of this in your material. And And then show her highlight reel of knockouts. And then people will be on board. And she can sell as much as Ronda, if not more, because people will show up. They love personality. They love the girl next door. But then they also love... The villain. They love the monster. They love and it's funny 90 Tyson that. more than they loved early 80s Tyson. They want right. to steal a thing. You know, no one pays to see Bruce Banner. People pay to see the Hulk. And that's what she has to no be. One, no one cares about Pretty Boy Floyd. It's only Money Mayweather. It's the same type of principle. Ronda Rousey, when she was in 2013, 2014, before, you know, and I think the McMahon fight was really the turning point. It's, you know, the, the, the meat of the liver, the liver, and that, that was it. From that point on, it really took off as far as her being that, that true baby face. And I remember her next fight after that was, I believe, 175 in the summer of uh, 2014. And I remember that was Alexis Davis. And after that, that Instagram video, 14 seconds, you said to me in the media room right after, basically the, the description, and I, I remember this, the description of what you gave me as the prototype fighter to beat Ronda Rousey and take down her whole regime and her grip over the whole women's bantamweight division. You didn't say cyborg, but the, because at that point it was kind of an afterthought. Because uh, this was a while ago, I guess, at least in the MMA world, we know how, how stuff so frequently happens and how much can happen in a year. And that was already over two years ago. But the Ronda was unbeatable gave, last year. That, 
Exactly. And the description <laughs> and the description you gave the the antidote to the Rousey was Cyborg, and that's from that point on. I, you know, Cyborg gets more and more dominant in Victor, even though she'd been doing it for the better part of a decade, all the way down to the, the, the Strike Force times, which Rousey also made her bones in. And it looked like no matter what, their path would cross somehow. Now, obviously, that's that's a moot, a moot talking point. But now the the comparisons ultimately come in the form of can Cyborg be the next Rousey, or at least fill that void of that big time draw, who's also the baddest woman on the planet because we know cyborg is the baddest woman right now on the planet that's what's so crazy and someone was telling me oh we can't create a division for her or they can't create a division for her because she's unbeatable she's invincible it's not fair i was like last year at this time ronda rousey was invincible no one thought they thought that division was a wash she cleaned out the division they said they said no one else has a chance it's unfair. And then, boom, she gets knocked out and never heard from again. I still don't know if she's going to come back and try to get the belt. She really ain't fighting Cyborg now. She, she doesn't want to ruin her chin and her Hollywood smile anymore. So we're never seeing that fight. But no one's invincible. Creating a division for Cyborg at 145 might bring out... Like, I gave a few examples. Uh, uh, the name slipped me offhand. But the Olympic boxer... Who just won two golds back to back? Oh, Clarissa Shields, right? Yeah. Who who says that she doesn't test MMA if you make a more favorable division? Because she fights at 165. So maybe she could cut down to 145 and give her a hand at MMA, like Holly Holm did. Who's to say that the judo champion from the Olympics? Any one of them? There's like three women who are monstrous at judo. Don't say you know what? Alan, what 145 is for me. Yeah, 135. I could never do that. So. The UFC was always an afterthought. But well, there's all this talk now. 145, well, though? Ahead. Sure. That, this is something that might happen if you create the division. Build it, and yeah. they will come. And there's a crop now of amateur wrestlers who we just saw showcase in Rio not too long ago, at least um, who could potentially make the jump. Kyle Snyder, the absolute beast for um, – and the, the gold winner for, for uh, the United States has his uh, – I guess you could say at least announced his interest in the sport. He was there uh, present at USC 203, and he's interested. And then across, um, just across the way, you have Helen Marulis, um, equally as dominant in, in, for, for women in, in American wrestling uh, just a few weeks ago. You ought to wonder maybe if she would consider it, depending on what she wants to do for 2020. So there are, you got to wonder, there are some amateur athletes out there, some Olympians. They all start somewhere, whether they be submission grappling tournaments with Brazilian jiu-jitsu, the judo route, like Rousey, we've seen some Olympian wrestlers in there. Some now, some boxers with with Holm. So it's it's becoming it's becoming really broad, just like the the male did. The, these these branches of discipline, um, different disciplines and styles. It's expanding. It's not just a bunch of. It's not like how it was in the first couple of years of that division, where you just had this world class judoka who happened to gradually improve her striking when she needed it in Rousey and a bunch of cans who even though yeah they train and yeah they had a decent background in com in combat sports they obviously weren't at the same level now maybe you could start like you said you have to you have to bring them in it could be a type of talent scouting process to where you're not just looking for bodies to replace that crop you uh, previously had to fill space or to just throw the champion an opponent no, you actually have some quality depth at that division because you have amateur wrestlers, you have amateur boxers, judokas, et cetera, et cetera. 
that's what combat that's what MMA is. Exactly. It, and unlike a, unlike the blending men, of styles. Unlike the men, they have a legit training company in Invicta. Their partnership with Invicta and the Fight Pass stuff allows you to sign these women. So if you need to sign, you know, a boxing champion, a judoka, and she needs to cut her teeth, sure, have her fight in Invicta for three fights. You can still put it on Fight Pass, still market them, and they still get legit training and building up the right way. You don't have to put them straight into the octagon a la CM Punk. You have means to make money with them and let them grow. So as far as women are concerned, the Invicta relationship is amazing for them. And it's a direct avenue. Invicta doesn't have to pay them. As we see with Cyborg, they haven't paid her in three years. It's always been Zufa for the past three years. So you can have that with your talent. It's a legit, it's NXT for women. That's what they have. Create the division and let them grow. And that's what I said. You go after the talent and you develop them. You have essentially a D-league there to, to, to not only build these fighters um, you know, technically and stylistically, but also give them a platform to, be create, to create stars of their own. I mean, you mentioned NXT, and we'll get, we'll get into wrestling later. Think about how many NXT wrestlers are emphatically more popular than guys in the main roster because of that just small little exposure, albeit brief compared to some of the other guys, a smaller window, um, lacks maybe some of the, the main uh, the, the production, obviously, and uh, the higher quality um, exposure and showcasing that those upper-level people do, but that's what they're aspiring to. That's what they want to get to, and you see the traits early. It's, it's a, it's, you go back to CM Punk, right? You go back to CM Punk, you, you just watch that fight. That fight happened 20 times. The result's the same, and it may be even worse each time. You, know, you might land one punch. Because if you have it, if you have it, you have it. If you don't, you don't. CM Punk is not a fighter. You can tell very early, albeit you know, he was old and, and uh, beat up from pressure wrestling, but you take someone young in there, you can tell by watching them. They're either going to have it or not, whether they're a great athlete, whether they even do okay in training, whether they do okay in sparring, whether they do okay in wrestling and rolling and grappling. That's fine and dandy. There's plenty of specimens who come in and fizzle out because you get to tell early on who, who are the true competitors, who are the fighters, and who are just the athletes in here, you know, taping up their fists and throwing punches and saying they're training. Who's the real fighter? These And these developmental promotions allow, um, at least for women who now are really trying to not just, not just make their way into it, because obviously they're already into it, but just really legitimize it even more to where it's not the Rousey show. Like you said, she's gone, and no one knows what she's doing next. We have to keep this moving. We can't just be at a standstill and hit a stone wall. We have to keep advancing. You know, that Rousey, that's why Rousey, the success of Rousey ultimately was a double-edged sword. She wins, it's all fine and dandy. She loses, look what happened. Now as they're trying to recover in the immediate aftermath of that. And like you said, these, these Invicta-type fights and fighters like Cyborg, that's where you have to pick up and keep moving forward. No, exactly. Uh... Let's make our predictions. We're only going to predict the final three fights on the card. Good card. You know, pretty good card. Always, of course, focusing on the Brazilian talent so they can sell at the gate, which is great. Um, the Brazilian fighters always come to fight. But let's focus on the three main fights. Big Country, Roy Nelson versus Antonio Silva. Big fight. 
Man, imagine if imagine if this was like 2011 or 2012. The hype of what you just said would be. Oh man, no, no joke. Yeah. Right? <laughs> no, yeah, uh, Bigfoot. I, I didn't. I'm scared to see Bigfoot fight. Honestly, like honest guy, he's taking some brutal knockouts. Um, and this is not the guy to go in the cage against if you're scared of getting <laughs> knocked out. Um, yeah, so it's going to be a great fight. It's not going to the judges. I'll tell you that damn much. No, but not I'm at all. For Silva, uh, I'll give first round KO to Nelson. Yeah, I'm thinking that same. I'm thinking maybe late first round. At this point in his career, there's not much uh, moving forward for Roy Nelson. But again, we've seen what he can do. We know how Silva likes to fight, and I think that kind of transcends his age and his health at this point. You know, he is a warrior, and he has given us some classic bouts. And you know, that's the thing with these heavyweights. You know, we talk. We we you talk college football, right? And all these. Elite, or whether the, the, they be elite conferences or not, but you look at the Power Five conferences, all these teams vying for spots, and there's in some years you have these deep conferences, but you're all like, but you know what? It's all hogwash because they're going to have to play each other out when it's all said and done anyway. It really is the same thing a lot of times with fighting. We saw it in the welterweight division, Kel. Remember a year ago yeah. how amazing the top five in the welterweight division was? I'm not saying it's it's weak now. It's still very good, but it's completely different. Who were Wonder Boy and Damian Maya? Obviously, they were extremely talented fighters who were looking good and, and not, uh, you know, racking up wins, but they weren't in the title picture. It was what? Rory, Robbie, Hendricks, which is a, a funny afterthought, but it is legit. Woodley was just sitting there in the background waiting. Matt Brown was still relevant. And look at how much it's changed in a year. Look at the heavyweight division, how, how the, the JDS Kane Velasquez rivalry. Yeah, it was great. But in a way, they kind of fizzled each other out. Not Kane, obviously, but JDS kind of fizzled into obscurity because of that rivalry. It, 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 it's kind of the same thing with what have happened to both these guys in a way. They didn't necessarily have that great feud that people will remember, but we've seen them in fights, and we've seen them gradually get worse and worse to the point where now you watch them and you just kind of go, Ugh, this is cringe. And, <laughs> and again, there's always intrigue. With the, and I love how I keep using that word. I've used the word intrigue like eight times because it's funny because everything we're talking about right now is ultimately all speculation. But this, I don't think, um, this isn't, yeah, I mean, yeah, we still have a few days to wait to the actual card, but there shouldn't be too much speculation here because I'm predicting pretty easily with great confidence that uh, Big Country Roy Nelson gets the job done with a uh, first round stop. And watch Bigfoot Silva kicks him in the face or something, and we're both wrong. That's the UFC. Exactly. Issue. And that's, that's spe- always and that's speculation. Yeah. That's why speculation is such a. It's, it's, it, you know, combat sports is something where it gets to the point, and if you look at this past year in a, alone, especially in MMA, with, with this, this title hot potato type of thing, this title carousel, I don't want it, you have it. It gets to the point where I'm almost like, should we even make predictions anymore? I hate like, when people crush nothing? my predictions. They'd be like, oh, well, you picked yeah. this person. I was like, yeah, because you never know what's going to happen. I picked Woodley just off the strength of, you know what? This is a wild-ass year in the UFC. I'm picking Tyron Woodley. Boom, and he gets a knockout. Yep. I didn't believe that for a second. But that's how sometimes <laughs> you just got to rock with the trends. Uh, yep. And this year is a thing, wild year. Exactly. But the funny thing is with, with uh, a heavyweight matchup in 2016 between Roy Nelson and Antonio Silva, there aren't a whole lot of trends to go around. So no, I'll, no. Pick, I'll pick Roy. I'm just <laughs> hoping for a decent throwdown here. Again, third from the top, heavyweight bout between two guys who have who who we've seen them in scrappy throwdowns, and they could be entertaining as they come. 
So that's really what I'm just hoping for. Because really, anytime you will go into a fight, regardless of division, obviously we're hoping for excitement. And excitement does come in different ways depending on the style and the division. You know, this is good old-fashioned excitement. This is punching exactly. in the face. This is the throw, <laughs> flat-footed, go toe-to-toe, in the pocket, start pounding each other with shots, even though both have, obviously, jiu-jitsu pedigrees. Roy Nelson, one of probably the best heavyweight grapplers. In he has to be, really, as far as pure skill with jiu-jitsu, he has to be up there with Josh Barnett and Frank Mir. But people just don't think about that because he may not have the resume of some of those um, well-known, legendary UFC heavyweights. Yeah, he doesn't use it. Um Next yeah, fight. Exactly. He likes to throw down. Next yeah. fight. Hen and Burrell versus Nova. I mean, Burrell's winning. They gave him yeah. a nice, okay, you took the L, come back, get a W, fight. Yeah. And they need to hit the reset button on Hen and Burrell. I'm not sure if he'll ever be championship caliber again, but he needs to build confidence because that's what he lost. And he and he's he's another example of the shakeup. Like, Burrell's just an afterthought now when at the time when he was a title, when he had a title, he was what? The third ranked fighter in the world. And he was unbeatable Dillashaw, for a while. Yeah. He hadn't lost in 10 Dillashaw. years or something. And the Dillashaw high train comes in and he doesn't just derail Burrell. He, he literally made him irrelevant for a few years. Oh, yeah. There are so many bantamweights you talk about now before Burrell, when in reality, Burrell's title reign wasn't that long ago. The rematch of Dillashaw, which is which was obviously a very one-sided fight. That wasn't too long. That was about a year ago. That was last summer. And ever since then, obviously, Dillashaw's gone to uh, lose the title. And there's, there's mix-up with, with Cruz and Faber and Cody Garbrandt. And in all this talk and all, and all these things going on in that division with these sparks, no one cares about Burrell. Like you said, this is a perfect opportunity to show, yeah, I'm still pretty damn good. And um, – it's a nice little, like you said, it's a nice little matchup with a, the company. The promotion kind of threw him a bone to get back on track here, and I expect he does. So do I. I'm picking Barrow by decision, though. I'm not sure if we see, just like my Jose Aldo theory, I don't know if we see Killer heading Barrow again. Um, I think he's just going to outpoint people. You know, look at the Jeremy Stevens fight. He just couldn't pull the trigger. So, heavy, oh, excuse me, main event fights. It could be a heavyweight fight, damn near as big as Cyborg is. Um, Cyborg versus Lena Landsberg. I feel like this is one of the Nia Jax matches that I watch on Raw, where they come out and they just interview the chick beforehand. Like, you don't know who she is. And then she's just like, hey. She's like, well, I hope she doesn't break me in half today. And then there's like three moves and it's a squash match. Um, just so like, you mean just like the, the most perfect, like naive, smiling baby face who has no idea what they're in for that, that type of like a job, one of those jobbers who has, you know, the, the goofy big smile. It's exactly um, what it start. is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> makes and sense. I, I'm picturing it now. I'm picturing it now. And the biggest fight for cyborg this week is cyborg versus the weight. Um, not cyborg versus her opponent. As long as she makes 140, she can't make 141 because somehow this weird ass catch weight is fought under title pretenses, and you have to make 140 or 140.5, 141, and she gives up some of her purse. So Dana's really like, yeah, you don't even get the one-pound exemption. You gotta, We're going to hook and kill you to get down to 140. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, this weight cut type of thing, it, it's gone so long, and, it's re- and you know, there's all kinds of articles and columns about it. Um, this uh, about it out this week 
but this is it's almost self parodic because it's been going on so long. You know what I mean? Like it, it's going to become it get to the point where there's going to be like Twitter trends and memes just about cyborgs weight cuts until they address it. No, that's very true. Um, fight itself though, cyborg knockout under a minute. Wow, I think I think I think Lambert will take her take her past a minute just because I don't know how it's going to be interesting to see how cyborg looks now and and you know when you go to both ends of the spectrum. Yeah, she always does struggle away, but she looks fine come fight night. Due to the fact that she walks in there at about one sixty five, one seventy. I think just off the the basis of you know distance between the two and just co- uh, clock seconds ticking down, I think she could last a little bit longer than that. And plus, all our, all three of our picks are going to be the same, and that's never as fun. But even though my my outcome prediction here is the same as yours, I'll say she takes her a little bit farther into the first. But it's not going to be very uh, very competitive on her behalf for the few minutes she is surviving against the cyborg. Uh, no, I, I mean. It's crazy. I'm just we're here to see the cyborg show. It's what it boils down to. It's all about cyborg. They could have threw in anyone. Um, taking a look on Twitter earlier today, though, there was a funny poll from uh, Snowden at Bleacher Report, and it was in a fight. Are you taking cyborg or CM Punk? Yeah, I love I love Snowden too, but man, this is this is killing me too because I I don't want to say the answer, but I I, I don't know. I mean, I honestly, feel like, I'm taking Cyborg in yeah a minute. And I, minute I, say I don't 30. want to say the answer not because oh I don't think a woman could beat a man. Definitely not because there's a bazillion examples of that. Take any fighter against any guy in the street, and you will have it any time happen there too. And so CM let's kind of get away from that street. mentality. It's just more so because, obviously, for CM Punk, Mark, we knew he was going to get his ass kicked. He did get his ass kicked. It was very, very bad. And we did give him his props, even though I know a lot of people don't believe in the whole moral victory uh, you know, concept. But I will, we gave him credit for embracing the grind. He stepped out there. He was hyped. Yada, yada, yada. You know, he, he really took this full on and, and, and did something with it, even though it was a disastrous fight. Well, if he fought Cyborg, it may also be a disastrous fight. And that would have been worse. Cyborg is back. Cyborg is that good. It's not just that, yes, he's big. Yes, he's strong. Yes, she has monster power. Look at her skill set as a whole. Look at how she has been beating people over the years. She absolutely, you know what Holly Holm did to Ronda Rousey in November of 2015? Yeah, rewind back to 2010, maybe in 2009, my memory slips me. And look what Cyborg did to Gina Carano. Gina Carano was the proto the, the, the proto Ronda Rousey, if you will. She was the precursor to Ronda Rousey. If Rousey made women's MMA mainstream, Carano at least made it a, a talking point. It, women's MMA never would have even really gotten it going in the UFC under Rousey um, just a few years ago if it weren't for Carano's impact in strike force just a few years earlier, right? And it's, and it's easy to forget that because of the way everything has happened and, and transpired the past couple of years. But look what Cyborg did to Carano. She not only pummeled the face of women's MMA at the time, she put, she, she, she retired her. Security. That was she it. retired her. She, she went to go making Marvel comic movies and like video games and, and different shows here and there because of what Cyborg did. And now it's ironic because Rousey was also dabbling in acting. It'll be interesting to see what she does in the aftermath of home. But as bad as home was with that knockout of Rousey, 
it wasn't an absolute mauling like it was like Cyborg Corona was a few years earlier. So Cyborg has been doing this for a long, long time. And even fights she doesn't finish right away, they're not even close. And it's just she doesn't get the same type of publicity for obvious reasons. Well, now she has the stage, and she is starting to get the publicity. And I think people are realizing how good she really is. And, yes, that does entail beating CM Punk if they were to throw down. Uh, and also, you just look at her size and strength. She can match up with him in those uh, categories as well, aside from just the fact she's a, a great, great fighter, and well, CM Punk is it? Yeah, and he's not. He's not lasting a, more than two minutes against Cyborg. But I, I, I do think that, I do think he fights again in the UFC in the octagon. Yeah, yeah. It's I, a fun I, hypothetical. It's a fun hypothetical today. I think day to day. Yeah, I, a lot I of think, hypotheticals. I think he fights Mike Jackson. They both lost quickly to Mickey Gall. Which would mean mm-hmm. they're both kind of similar skill sets, even though I, Mike Jackson has a lot more fighting experience. Um, but they can both make 170. They both have now UFC experience, and I think they would want Punk to go out one and one and not zero and one. Because if you go out a 500 fighter, you at least said you did something, and the numbers I he bought that. in were crazy, crazy. The estimate for how much he bought in, according to Dave Meltzer, he did a great piece on MMA fighting, was $5.5 million single-handedly Punk accounted for on that pay-per-view for UFC 203. It was somewhere in the realm of 175,000 pay-per-view buys. The difference between the last heavyweight title main event fight at a pay-per-view and this one. So it was Verdun versus Stipe, and then this time Stipe versus Reem. They took those numbers and saw the difference and pay-per-view sales, and it was 175000 which they attributed to Punk being on the card, which equates to $5.5 million. Punk alone bought in. From just pay-per-view, not to mention gate, not to mention press, sponsorships, everything. Just pay-per-view, Punk accounted for $5.5 million by himself. And that's ultimately the X factor. You know, money talks, because I, I heard someone allude to it, I think it was in the immediate aftermath of the fight, it might have been just a few minutes after even just later that evening of uh of after ufc 203 uh, wrapped up and it was either an analyst or a writer someone in, in the mma media um relatively well known i just can't remember who it was they were talking either talking with another with a with a colleague or, or a fan or something and they they suggested the the jackson punk fight and and it was immediately uh just shut down by, by whoever this figure was and again i can't remember but they was just shut down this figure because they, they think it would be a joke like then, what are you doing? You're 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 just putting two guys who Gall, who who Gall just absolutely waxed in the first round in his last two fights, and now you're just throwing them together to give Punk a makeup shot. And you know what? On the outside looking in, for those who think, oh, what is this pro wrestler doing? He got his ass kicked, and he still wants to do this. And so on the outside looking in, it's understandable to think why. You know what? It, it it just didn't work out. Yeah, he gave it a shot. It was it was a disaster. Hope you know. Hey, best of luck to him. We could see maybe we could see him in some smaller promotion, amateur fights, whatever have you down the road. But we will not see him here in the UFC because he doesn't belong here. But then those numbers, those glaring pay-per-view numbers, buy rates, and all those other factors that come into play, then you hear those as you just uh, read them off, and you're thinking, well, maybe he can. If he does that again, maybe he does have a place here simply off of that basis alone. He does. I mean, he's. It- if it makes dollars, it makes sense. That's that's the old adage, right? Like he's making them money 
In the fight game, it is. In and the fight game, it is. You can't really cut him because Bellator will definitely march him out there against anybody. Mm-hmm. So you can't release Punk. I mean, are you going to pay him to go to a lesser promotion and fight? And still give him a nice size salary, what, 100K, 125K to fight and just keep him away from your competitors while he gets better? He might not get any better. Put him in there against Mike Jackson, who you saw take the L, who says he wants him, who can talk and build the fight and hope that casual fans forget again. Or that there's a groundswell of hope that this is his chance to win. Yeah, Steve Coulter from ESPN 1100, 100.9 FM even said it. Um, how Punk came out of that fight immediately from the get-go, obviously not prepared for that takedown. And you go back and you watch the evolution of Punk's series, and even though he did struggle um, against his sparring and grappling partners, that looked like something they really heavily emphasized. Getting against that cage, defending the takedown, sprawling, kicking those legs back, or even if you are on the mat, doing whatever you can to really just not get bent out on the mat where Gall uh, was able to do it to Punk. Uh, get that, you know, get that, that that return on the takedown, and then able to uh, work that choke in there. That punk was able to hold off for a while, but that mainly just came down to human human instinct and doing whatever you could. And obviously, he had to make a choice: either defend the choke or take the abuse to the to the dome. And we uh, obviously we know what he chose to do, which led to that rear naked. A lot but easier to get fact, choked out. Much exactly. easier to get choked just, out than punched in the face. Exactly. But just the fact that he got taken down so easily and didn't get any offense in, that makes me want to see him fight again, regardless if he wins or loses. Because I just would like to see some of that striking, some of that grappling. Again, Askren, one of the best wrestlers in the sport, um, different jujitsu games, uh, different jujitsu uh, you know, uh, elements in his game. The, the striking, where he's learning world-class strike, striking from, from Rufus and all those guys. That's what I wanted to see carry over. That's all I ultimately wanted to see in the first one because I knew he was going to lose. I just wanted to see him actually try something, even if it looked hilariously bad. And he was never able to do that because his footing and his stance um, really jeopardized his ability to, uh, you know, stay away from Gall and stay on his feet as he saw Gall immediately go for that takedown. And since that fight ended so soon, I, I kind of was left, even though I predicted the outcome, I thought that was it. You couldn't get anything going. So I would like to see maybe some, some grappling exchanges, some scrambles, maybe him try a takedown, get a guy against the cage, tie him up in a clinch, try to work some dirty boxing in there, something. Even if he still loses, whether it be a UFC amateur or whatever, I want to see Punk fight again just for that reason. I really do. I just want to see him, if he gets his ass kicked, I want to see him get his ass kicked in an actual MMA fight, not just him standing there getting taken down after, um, after a few seconds from the get-go and getting pummeled. No, I agree. I mean, I'd like to see him again. Even if he gets worked again, it's going to be profitable for them. So it's always worth it. Brock Lesnar got tapped in under a minute, I believe. His first fight. Or he just got tapped by Mir. I believe it was first round. It was crazy. Um, yeah, when he, Brock, got caught, when he got caught in the knee bar. Yep. Yeah, Brock is obviously a way better fighter. He proved that. But still, one fight isn't a big enough sample size to tell what you can nope. do. Exactly, and that's the key word, that's the key term right there, sample size. I want a larger sample size to at least that way I can determine, yeah, CM Punk is an MMA scrub. I, in fact, I could say that right now, but I at least want a larger sample size to truly confirm, just get the point across that much more that CM Punk, unfortunately, as much as we wanted to see it pan out because of his, like you said, his drawing of uh, power, his charisma, his ability to talk on the mic, 
his just his character and personality in general. We want to see that consistently in the company. Unfortunately, what is the promotion? It's fighting, and that's not his game, even though he clearly had the wherewithal um, mentally and emotionally to go in, grind with the wear and tear from wrestling, with the injury, uh, various injuries, the injury that he suffered in training, able to bounce back from that, and he went through with it. We can say that. We will say that regardless of what happened, CM Punk did indeed fight in the, in the UFC. And remember, just winter break when uh, we were covering fights down on the strip in the media room, uh, Ryan McKinnell and plenty of our other, plenty of the other guys in your group, you know, you associate with, and you know, I've become pretty good friends with. They even said, I honestly don't think he fights. And this was back in December, January. Well, guess what? We had to wait, but he did fight it actually happened yeah so we can hang our hat on that much <laughs> he, he yeah okay. he, he stepped into the oh, no, he did but i'm just saying he but i'm saying he got out there uh, but these guys were denying that he would even get that far no that's a very lot true. of people thought he would make a statement like ha- halfway through 2016 or you know in the spring of 2016 saying you know what this just isn't for me i gave it a shot i did the training my body just can't hold up i'm a huge fan of the sport i'm gonna stay close to it but i just can't compete he did compete. It didn't last long, and it was an absolute nightmare, but he did technically compete. It was a sanctioned fight at the highest level. Uh, uh, what, third third from the bottom? So there you go. No, that's very true. Uh, hopefully yeah. he comes back and we see him again. Uh, t- it, was, it was interesting for the night. I had to chug a lot of beers because I picked wrong in that fight. <laughs> I was there. I saw it. <laughs> other thing that to talk about. Is uh, UFC 205. We have a couple of confirmed fights. We have some speculation. It's, it seems like it's going to be a fun night. It has to be historic, though, right? With 200 kind of collapsing. Because that's what it did. It fell flat. 202 was the real 200. Like McGregor said. Yep. 205 has to live up to the build. And so far, I, I don't see it. I know it's just, I mean, Cowboy versus Gastelum, good fight. Edgar versus Jeremy Stevens, all right. Kennedy versus Evans, Evans might be washed. Boach versus uh, Natal, all right. Like, I don't, what's supposed to get me excited? I don't, I don't understand it. As of right now, nothing. It's really just, it's really the, the potential of the card with uh, that, that welterweight, title fight that we want to admit possibly with Wonderboy and, and um, Woodley or in the middleweight battle between Wyman and Romero, the the fight that was originally going to look like Cerrone and Lawler, which would have just been a brawling, a fan of brawling, violent, uh, aggressive fighting. That would have been, you know, a, a, just a dream come true. And, and it's kind of, I'm not saying we got robbed of it because Gaston and Cerrone was an interesting matchup. But if you just look at this card on paper, like you said, it's not bad. If you take away the number more so the location. For 200, I will say it was the number, um, just because of the, mo- the monumental uh, status of, you know, USC 200. This, it's more so, it's, it's, it's a late fall card, but it's the event, it's the location. Finally, Madison Square Garden. And you want to have the most star-studded, flashy, uh, really just that, you know, the sexy card. Of course you're going to want that. And I'm not saying what you have here is just a bunch of cans and and, and no, and no um, excitement whatsoever. Because on paper, because we could break it down either way. We could find a good fight. You know, you could find a diamond in the rough if you look hard enough, and many and many times. But 
at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's about the fans. It's about what they want. It's about the excitement and the entertainment they're getting when they are buying that pay-per-view. Or oh, they're buying that exciting card. Ticket. It's just no, yeah, it it's not top heavy. It, it needs it does, something. It's not top heavy. It needs it a marquee fight. It, it does. It lacks star power. And even though the fans there could very much, and ordering a pay-per-view, the fans watching could very much be in for a show just because of the nature of the, of the matchups. Think about how many could potentially be missing out because they went online, read the card, and said, oh, yeah, I'm not ordering that this Saturday. To hell with that. So you don't want to waste what could potentially be an absolutely incredible night in UFC history. Because we, we think about how it is with UFC. The, it, it, some nights that you project to be great are duds, and nights you project to be like good. Because usually nights you project to be bad are, for the most part, pretty bad. But nights you project to be all right or even decent sometimes could just really defy all expectations. Oh, we've had cards that ended in almost all finishes. Where we Remember 187 and 189 on paper were both very good. But in in carryout, I guess you could say in theory they were okay. In practice, they were absolutely incredible. Two of the best cards ever. Exactly. And some bouts or some cards and some bouts just turn out that way. And I'm not saying what you see here for UFC 205 you know, scheduled in just a couple of months. I'm not saying that you will not get a good fight. In fact, you will get a good fight because there are a few interesting matchups and it's only early September. There's potential, there's plenty of time for more to be potentially announced, but you just look at what could be, you know, maybe, uh, maybe that Weidman bounce, you know, he bounces back, uh, Romero as well, um, bouncing back. And of course the, the Woodley Thompson match. Oh, Wonderboy's going to kick his face off. I love it. Yeah, Wonderboy's the most devastating striker in the game right now. Woodley off of the huge um, knockout uh, victory over Lawler. That, but it's, that, it's all to empty. Me, that's awesome, too. It's all empty without McGregor. Without McGregor it really, Alvarez. It really is. It's, all, it's I, a disappointment. Listen, you and I have been the biggest, just about been the biggest prognosticators of what McGregor has done, at least of the circuit that we know and that we associate with, um, you know, within the MMA media and the fans and, the, and, and just some of the people we know. And we've done multiple radio spots and podcasts addressing his greatness and its impact. Let's not be held hostage by McGregor necessarily. They could still find a way to make this a good card. The problem is, as soon as it, it became a, a possibility, big, it ruined exactly, the card. And I, exactly, and I think, and I think the fact that it was mentioned the second it's mentioned, it was in the realm of possibility people immediately want it. The second you hear McGregor could fight, let alone a lightweight title fight, something we were originally going to get before the whole story arc with Diaz happened. That's what's so funny. I think a lot of people, you know, they watch those two great Diaz McGregor fights, the first one being short, but an incredible nine minute fight. And this last one, not too long ago at USC 202 being one of the best fights, uh, really just one of the best fights you'll see period. It really, it was that great. And as great as their rivalry, their trash talking, the, water bottle throwing and et cetera has been that never would have happened if, if the RDA now I shouldn't say never I really shouldn't because Diaz won a McGregor but that wouldn't have happened the way it did and at the moment it did if RDA never got hurt in yeah, that I'm not sure if McGregor, because you know, that's what they probably don't fight at 170 if they do fight they fight at 155 no, down the road McGregor probably wins yeah. we don't get the same narrative the two weeks no, notice but, the the 170 every it was a perfect storm for Connor to lose and to make Nate Diaz the star that he should have been all along. It was almost like all parties ultimately won, even though a lot of people initially thought that McGregor's stock would plummet when he got choked out by Diaz at 196. 
the thing is, though, now you, you, we're looking here, and in the now we're getting to the later part of 2016. He bounces back, he gets a, a big win in a in a huge fight, and now we can get back to what we wanted when he knocked out Jose Aldo in 13 seconds to win that featherweight crown. We immediately wanted to see him fight lightweight because at the time he was talking trash with Cerrone. He was talking trash with RDA. The RDA um, Cerrone fight happened what a week after. RDA finishes him, and it's all like it, it's taken off from here. And it's going down. Yeah. I was, I, it, exactly. It, it was, built it was as con- and exactly. It I've, was so perfectly set up, and that injury just we thought would just screw everything up, and then we obviously lucked into the Diaz storyline. But that my point being, but I mean, is that once his that injury, name is mentioned, the injury could ahead. have possibly cost Connor three titles. Yeah, like it, to be honest, because you look at. Just the course of how history played out. RDA's next fight, he gets knocked out. Who's to say Connor would have knocked him out that night? You know, all hypothetical, obviously, is the theme of the show. But if Connor knocks him out, we probably get Connor versus, uh, I don't know, 170. He goes for the welterweight title against Lawler. And we saw Lawler got knocked out. You stand there too much, you test fate. So who's to say Connor doesn't catch him with a lucky punch? And and, not yeah, and, then there were, and then there were people talking about GSP. There's now there's people talking about the lightweight picture now. McGregor anywhere he goes, at least if it's in the realm of possibility with his weight class, with his, with contract stuff, with with appearances, and obviously with health, which is one of the biggest um, you know factors heading into this one due to that due to what went down in his last in his last fight as his, and to see how his body holds up. But the fact that he has what he tweeted just a few days ago, beg me. The fact that Alvarez is calling him out. Obviously, he wouldn't be in the conversation if it wasn't in the realm of possibility. It really, he really wouldn't be, even though Dana and company are trying to downplay it. Even now, the I'm sure we'll get into that potentially since we're talking USC 205. Um, you know, the Alvarez Nurmagomedov bout, but the fact his name was in the mix now once Pete has people frothing at the mouth to get him on that card, it's going to have people flocking to Madison Square Garden if he was there. Can you imagine? The Irish McGregor, McGregor Mafia—that's what we like to call it. Just the, the, the fan base, and if—and if you're listening, if you never, because I'm sure everyone realizes the the impact and the power that McGregor has over, you know, his 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 Irish the uh, the Irish people. Like this guy, he is right now Ireland's favorite son, at least you know from an athletic standpoint, anyway. And these people flock to see him, even though I know um, numbers were down as far as the Irish contingency. Um, for uh, 202 as opposed to 196 and 194, but they will flock. It's where he goes, they will go, and you would love to get uh, that that crowd. At least I would love to see it. Pack them in a Madison Square Garden and have Connor fight for a lightweight title. Now, obviously, everything I just said right there is incredibly optimistic, and I don't know if it will happen. Probably, in fact, it won't happen. Don't but count man, out Connor. Could, that's, that's no, you know, you never count, never count, you out, never Connor. count out Connor. No, but at the same time, I don't want to be overly positive and have my heart broken. And when I, and here's the thing, like we don't, it's not like we necessarily root for Connor. We just want to see Connor. I don't care who he's fighting with. Connor McGregor could make fighting a tree interesting in a way. You know what I'm saying? Like he could fight a tree, and it would somewhat be entertaining just off his personality alone. People would you take want the a tree. guy like that. People will take exactly. the tree just in case. Exactly. Exactly. And you want a guy like that in the Big Apple and in your inaugural Madison Square Garden event. As far as, you know, the, the UFC, you've had 204 events by the time that event will come. 
And now you get to have one in Madison Square Garden after so many years of people wanting it, after just uh, the the commissions and the powers that be in New York and plenty of other factors. If you, if you were to research some of the factors that played in to the banning of, of, of um, MMA in, in New York, it, it was, was blow your mind. Yeah. Mind blowing. Mind blowing. Like that, it took Mi- this long to overturn right it. It's mind blowing. Yeah. It's, it was one of the dumbest things in sports. Right. But it is but what it is. Before would, we get out of here. Exactly. Though, before we get out of yeah, here. I mean, I, I, I yeah, and I just hope to finish, as I let you go on, I just hope that they could rally the troops, rally the pieces, and present. Because I know you have intentions of going out there. Um, you know, I know your roots are in New York, and I'd lo- I know you'd love to go home and go catch UFC 205 there, headlined by Conor McGregor. So we'll see where it goes. It could be, it could be big. It could be, it could be underwhelming. It could be a classic. It's if McGregor's on there, I can't miss it. If it's without McGregor, I might be sitting here next to you enjoying some beers. Watching it like we do most fights that are out of town. Um, before go. we go, yep. though, let me get your prediction for the upcoming Bisping fight. Bisping, Kendo, wow. couple weeks away, putting you on the gun. But uh, no, how do you see honestly, that going? Kel, I'll tell you right now, I think Bisping, I think Bisping tears through him, and it's not even close. I think I was texting someone the other day. Bisping, Bisping got lucky. He never should have beat Rockhold. Oh, really? Did he get lucky? Or did Rockhold just put his hands down and completely disregard the danger of Bisping? The Bisping, who just had a career-defining moment a few months before by beating arguably the GOAT. Now, obviously, there were factors playing into that, um, whether the, you know, Bisping was knocked out, he wasn't knocked out, the fight should have been stopped with Silva. But that was an amazing throwdown. Bisping, had, had, that was his defining moment. He goes in because Weidman... Um, I know you could go on and on about Weidman's uh, history of injuries in his, in his camp, but it happened yet again. He gets the shot. Rockhold doesn't take him seriously because we knew Rockhold just absolutely tore through him when they fought previously and he, and he caught him. And I think, and, and you know, I think if they fought again, yeah, Rockhold would be the favorite. I think Weidman would be the favorite. I think any of those kind of uh, middleweights that, that are kind of that mold, would be Bisping. Which is Henderson odd because I don't know I don't know why they gave him a cupcake lob. No disrespect yeah. to Hendo, but at this no, point he's, like not, Henderson, he's not a championship Henderson, contender. Henderson is an all time legend. Henderson was considered a Hall of Fame maverick in, in you know what I'm saying like a, a, a game changer. Not so much in the UFC but in the sport. People don't forget how some of these guys who came over in the mid two, early to mid-2000s from Pride, people often forget just how good they really were. And Henderson was an absolute monster, was a great um, you know, amateur wrestler, Olympic-level wrestler. Is this his the third H-bomb weight class goal. or fourth? I, I believe third. We, we may have to, yeah, we heavy, definitely have to look heavy, that up. Heavy, light, heavy. Yeah, and then middle. And then middle, I think it's, okay. Th- I think it's three because remember what he did in Pride. He was able to to succeed in multiple divisions, and now we see him in the UFC, where his career has, has definitely been, um, you know, I'm not going to say dominant in the UFC, but it's been, it's a Hall of Fame merit, because he, he picked up where he left off. He's in, in his pride. 40s, and he's getting a title exactly. shot. He is exactly. beyond and, Hall and of what Fame. I'm, <laughs> and, what I'm say, and what I'm saying is that when he beat Bisping with that legendary knockout, initially, he was already considered a legend, and that was at UFC 100 in 2009, okay? You just said it all right there. He's getting a title shot in his 40s, and the only reason he is getting it, the only reason whatsoever, is because he YouTubed Michael Bisping 
years ago when Bisping wasn't as good and when Henderson was a lot better. Bisping is on a career high, whether you believe in this title reign he has or not. Henderson, even though he H-bomb does still exist, and we saw that that amazing knockout that always lies in that you know in that right hand when he brings it around town. But we've also seen Henderson not too long ago just get absolutely embarrassed simply due to the fact that he's too old, he doesn't have it anymore, and he needs to call it quits. And that's not hating on him because I just I I just emphasized his his you know his resume, his credibility within the within the world of mixed martial arts. So it's it's one of those rematches that is really just there. Simply because it was a it was a great moment, you know, back back in back in the day. I was crazy to call two thousand nine back in the day, but it was a while ago. And this rematch, I think, is really just kind of just throwing everyone a bone. Oh, maybe it happens soon again because you know, still a lot of people don't like this thing, and I think a lot of people don't respect this thing. But I think they will after this fight because I think this can carry through Dan uh, Henderson. And I'm not going to say he retires Dan Henderson because at this way, I don't know if Dan Henderson will ever. Retire well, time. Henderson uh, said this is his last fight. So win or lose, yeah, yeah, no, I know yet. If he, he lands the H bomb, if he lands the H bomb, he beat him. Remember after Musashi beat him, I would have. It looked right there. He was about to grab the mic from Rogan and say, "I retire. I, I, I'm going to retire now." He, you know, he has a couple other fights in between that. Win or lose, you think I keep thinking in the back of my mind. I should say on the surface, I keep thinking. This is it for him. He's done. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, no, he's not. So who knows? You know what I'm saying? I, 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 I wouldn't be surprised if it actually does happen because, um, hello, it should happen because he needs to retire. But I wouldn't be surprised if he stayed around, even if it was in the UFC, if he went somewhere else and had another fight. I know it's embedded in him. I know it's who he is um, from, you know, from the amateur wrestler onward and just a great career as, as, a, as a legend and a big-time uh, Big time influential figure in the sport, but it's just it's not going to happen. And if it did, if it did alone, I'd be stuck with him riding off or potentially riding off into the sunset with a, with the middleweight belt by once again years down the road beating Michael Bisping. Storybook uh, ending. I think it's pretty far fetched. Yeah, crazy ending if it happens. Um, we're gonna take one more break. You guys chill and listen to the sponsors. When we come back, we're talking WWE before we get out of here. You know, this is the first time we say wrestling to the end, for the end in months. So this is a show all over the place. We're shaking it up. Uh, once again, thanks to Brett Lawson for joining me. And you get more Brett when we come back from the break. So stay right there. We'll be right back. Before we continue to talk more combat sports, we've got to give another thanks to Casper Mattresses. Casper mattresses combine two technologies, springing latex foam and supportive memory foam to create an award-winning sleep surface. Have y'all ever slept on memory foam? It's like floating on air. It's that great. And this is how we get our sleep. So you guys make sure that you check it out. Casper mattresses are made in the USA and have free shipping and returns to the US and Canada. Shout out to the great North. You can buy your Casper mattress easy online, and it's completely risk-free. Look, dude, you spend like a third of your life sleeping, and Casper understands the importance of trying out a mattress before you commit. Look, so if you aren't satisfied with the Casper mattress, you got a 100-day period. Yeah, that's right, 100 days. You know, like, 100 days of sleeping? By, by about that time, I think I know if I like my mattress. So get a Casper mattress for $500 for a twin or $950 for a king size. And you can save an additional $50 towards your Casper mattress by going to casper.com backslash the corner and entering the promo code the corner. That's casper.com backslash the corner. Promo 
code the corner to save fifty dollars towards your cash for purchase. Terms and conditions apply. Look again, man. I like to sleep, and these things are for real. Once again, thanks to all the sponsors. If you guys need a mattress, make sure you hit up that link. It is amazing. I am sleeping so well. I am like an old man right now. Andreas is an old man, and that's why he is sleeping well. So now it's kind of evened out the age gap. I can be old and grumpy like Andreas. And when he gets back, you never know. He might be too well-rested. He'll just have nothing but energy when he returns to the show. But right now... So wait, are you talking, are you talking double turn right now? I'm telling you. Maybe potential... Because we're talking wrestling. Are you talking double turn, heel face, you and Andreas swapping, uh, sw- uh, swapping spots or what? I'm forever the heel. I, I, I have no face, Ron. This is it. The goddamn McKell movement lives on. I'm forever <laughs> a face. If they turn me, I'm just kidding, I'm forever a heel. If they turn me face, it'll ruin me. Every now and then, I just got to remind the people. I got to, you know, cross my legs, just pipe bomb it up so people remember who I am. Uh, today, though, no such luck. Uh, one day, hopefully, CM Punk returns to the WWE and we see a pipe bomb and we'll all lose our damn mind. But right now we're focusing on Raw is where we'll start. WWE. The Cruiserweights debuted. And, you know, someone who watched the entire Cruiserweight Classic, I enjoyed it. Some of the best wrestling on television so far this year. Uh, I thought it was a good debut. They introduced them a little bit at a time. Cedric Alexander is a star. And they put over the person more recognizable to the general WWE public, which is fine. And TJ Perkins is a great person to hold the belt. So it was a good debut. Great match. Uh, it's interesting to see how much time they give them going forward, though. Fantastic match. And I was thrilled with the amount of time they got. And to tell you the truth, Kel, I actually got up really early tomorrow. And I know this sounds bad. I started dozing off in the middle of the match. And it's not because it was boring, but it was because it was long. So, you know, I, I, you know, I quickly snapped out of it, like, you know, three, four seconds later. Um, I think actually a spot woke me up. It was like a really loud kick, and that kind of, you know, jolted my eyes back open. And I thought, oh, man, this is awesome. It's still going. And then it went off for, like, another 10 minutes after that. I think it was two and commercial was, breaks. Exactly. And, I, and, I, and I've rewatched it. I enjoyed it even more the second time. I really think what's, what they're doing, um, I, thought, I think what they're doing with Kendrick is really cool. Um, and you know what? I just really liked it. And I didn't, I didn't follow the CWC as closely as I, as I would have liked to, um, you know, in real time, obviously in, in hindsight, it's great to catch up and all that. And those are matches that you saw over the course of that tournament that you could just go back to any time and watch with the caliber of talent there. But it's just, it's really cool to see because I think the cruiserweights, at least in their, in the later years of their stint on SmackDown, on the original brand split, they were just a, an absolute laughing stock. No one took the division seriously. Everyone, I don't know if you remember, um, really actually even shouldn't be repeated or ever see the light of day again, but the way the <laughs> cruiserweight division, the way the cruiserweight division ended in 07, I believe it was, on SmackDown, it was just an absolute joke. And now you have it. It's, it's, and it's going to be as legitimate and credible as any division, regardless of how much time they give them, because we know how good these guys are as workers as athletes, and whether they kind of snub them with time and opportunities, which they are known to do sometimes, obviously, after initially maybe um, showing up something else, you know what, so be it. But I'm just happy we got to see this on their debut on Monday Night Raw, and now they're in the company, and we get to see them work. It's one of the deepest divisions already in the WWE. Chock full of talent. These guys are new. They're fresh. It's not revisiting storylines that we've seen three or four times. 
people genuinely get to see new characters become stars in front of their eyes, and that's great. Um, so I enjoyed that. Tag teams brawled. All right, we're getting two tag team matches at Night of Champions. Ho-hum. Um, if the New Day don't drop the belt, then it's like whatever. It's time for Gallows and Anderson to get the titles. I, I love the New Day. They're still cool to me. I'm not getting tired of the act. Me and Andreas talked about this last week. I'm not tired of it yet. Uh, they just need a real foil. They need a real challenge. And they've been void of one since, what, before SummerSlam. The Wyatt thing was a one-off. Before then, it was, they haven't been tested at all. What, the VOD villains weren't a test. They just came straight up from NXT. So I need them to drop the belt and become the chasers again and be funny and maybe go into a different feud and come back. We just need to see a little more of someone else and build someone else up to the level of the new day. And I think yeah, that's and what's going to happen. And everything seems a little lackadaisical. And not because, and, and, and I'm not saying they're getting complacent and resting on their laurels because, again, they do bring it every night. I truly believe that the cool thing about the new day is that they genuinely love to entertain. Well, they love their job, you know, you see, and they're being themselves. Look at, look, at, look at the picture with them partying with K-Love and the rest of the Cavs you know, on Vegas, because that was, what, right after, right after Money in the Bank. They were partying with the Cavs after taking selfies and stuff, and, and I thought that, I think that's so cool. They're really likable. It initially started out as like the kind of gimmick to where obviously people hated when it was the preacher type of thing. Once they turned heel, people absolutely fell in love with them. If they exploded to the moon... Um, over as over can be, but it would be cool to see some shakeup because now they could have a different approach. A guy cha- or a, a unit, a stable, a team, an individual, whatever have you, a guy chasing a title to me is actually always a little bit more interesting than a guy having the title. Yeah, Ambrose's reign as champion was really cool to me, but nothing will top the moment when he won it at Money in the Bank because then it made the culmination. It was a culmination. And it really brought everything full circle, even though Ambrose is, is obviously an interesting subject because of the way management had handled them prior, uh, prior to that. New Day's different because New Day has had, has had the gold now for so long. Over a year. New Day, I would like They're approaching exactly, the overall like, record, like WWE history record. Yeah, and I would like to see them dethroned simply because it would, it would make things interesting again. And then you could see a new side of New Day who are now chasing the title as opposed to just holding it and retaining it month in and month out. And then we have uh, Enzo and Kaz versus the Puerto Ricans, which is <laughs> an interesting dynamic. Uh, they're doing my Puerto Rican <laughs> people so wrong. But whatever. They have pamphlets. They have some type of spawn retreat. Enzo and Kaz just need someone they can go over on and finally get some wins. They were taking a, a bunch of unnecessary, unnecessary losses. And the WWE kind of takes them for granted for being so over that they can lose. I don't want them to see, you know, go the way of the Wyatt family or something. Just be, you know, happy-go-lucky losers and throw Enzo on the mic. It's time for them to win. If Gallows and Anderson win the titles, it'd be great to see them get a push uh, because, you know, it's just a new face regime that can go in. You know, give Big E a United States title run or something. And then right. have... The New Day just kind of do spot duty against some of these lesser tag teams and have Enzo and Cass get their run at a, a heel tag team champion, Gallows and Anderson. Shake stuff up. We're ready to see other people be stars, and that's what they preach with this brand split. They preach creating new stars, and that's how you have to do it. You can't just leave the same titles on people forever. The Miz has held his title forever. 
And he's doing some of his best work, but still, it's like, come on. The belts have to change hands. And I do, and I agree with that. This is the and perfect time. And I do time. sometimes think, I agree, and I do sometimes think that they forget that. Now, I'm not saying it needs to be what, like 1999 Raw, where the title's flipping hands every 10 days. No, you don't do that. I mean, you know the length of Ambrose's title reign? That's what I would honestly like, give or take maybe a month or two, depending on who it is and who he's booked against. And, you know, the the the, the quality of the feud or the storyline at the time. What that's was that, four honestly, months? Yeah, that is the average length of a title run I would like to see. Because then what happens, like, like let's say if he were to feud with Styles, obviously Cena comes in the factor, but Ambrose could feud with Styles hypothetically. And I know some people like Ambrose champion, some people didn't, but Ambrose, he could lose a few times to Styles. You could, get, you could do another match like that down the road. He gets the title back, and you have a, a solid title feud now to, to really, and, it, and it's always evolving. You could do different kinds of turns here. You could, you, could, you could have a guy as a face champion, have him lose the belt, right? In the meantime, in between the time he loses the belt and his and his pursuit to regain the belt, you get a heel turn. So much can happen just by dropping, you know, having the guy drop a belt. And then when you put, if you do decide to put it on him or a tag team again, they can be completely new characters. Like CM Punk, even though a lot of people don't treat his first couple of title reigns seriously in the company, CM Punk when he was winning world titles in what '09 and '08. That was a completely different guy than the post-2011 onward CM Punk before, you know, he left. Oh, yeah. It, completely it, it, it com- different. Completely, completely different guy. Same, obviously, same get-up. Because um, I guess you could say ultimately his gimmick was always the same with the whole straight-edge thing. But as far as his, his mission, like what he was trying to accomplish, the, the, the intensity and the passion behind his work, everything increased for the better, whether he was heel, face, whatever. The same kind of thing can happen maybe with Dean Ambrose. Because Dean Ambrose, a lot of guys, he does have a lot of critics, but you know how over Dean Ambrose is. It's time but for he full heel be, Ambrose, though. It is. And he could get back into that title picture. And whether he wins or loses, he will be a, a big-time factor in it. And it'll be interesting to see how you could pair that with Styles or Cena or whoever, and then also still give the smarts, if you will, what they want with Ambrose and not screw him in the booking like he has um, like he has been in the past after initial big-time pushes. So a lot of times I like seeing shorter title reigns and some continuity to it as opposed to just, you know, a guy feuding with another guy for two pay-per-views, then he jumps immediately to the next opponent, beats him, and so on and so forth before I know he's held the title for nine or ten months. And I know that doesn't happen too often, but it does happen – it doesn't happen too often with the main titles, but if you look at the titles as a whole, especially now that there's like, you know, 30 of them with the brand extension, there's <laughs> possibility that it's possibility that some reigns go too long. Yeah, no, it's the New Day's reign is way too long. Everyone doesn't have to break records. We saw the women's title break a record recently. We've seen this time. Come on, like we're good. Everyone doesn't have to break these long-standing records to just show that you're worth something. It's fine. Let them drop the belts. Do what's best for business. Um, talking about that, what else do we have? Jericho cut a couple good promos. Not a big fan of French Jericho, so we can skip that. <laughs> yeah, he's very weird with the scarf and no shirt and vest. Um, Rollins versus Rusev was on Raw, and it wasn't a match. It was a DQ. No. It was like, all right. Big schmoz, yep. Yeah, this is now Rusev's thing, is to not have matches. Um, yeah. Owens versus Roman's cage match. Um, Roman Reigns 
He performed very well, I thought. I thought it was a good match. It's a match I would have watched a pay-per-view. I would have watched on a pay-per-view and been perfectly happy. And you know, and you know what's so funny about it, too? You just really said it all right there. Like, it's, you know what's so funny to me about the, the Roman Reigns dynamic is that the whole bad wrestler argument, can we please put that to bed? Well, just look at this guy's year. Look at the year the guy's had. Name, can you name on one hand how many truly, utterly terrible matches he's had? No, you can't. So that's why you see Roman Reigns in a steel cage match against uh, one of the best in the business, one of the best in the world, a guy like Kevin Owens. And wait, they turn on, they put on a decent match and, you know, end the show on a somewhat positive note as far as the match quality. Obviously, Rusev and Rollins with the Rey Mysterio caged uh, uh, crossbody off the cage getting involved. That kind of gave, gave it a different feel to close the show. But the match itself, I agree. It was a good match, and I liked it. No, it was a very good match. It's the match of... Uh... It's good for the go-home show. We don't need to see the same two people. I hate when they have, like, you know, Rollins, Owens go against each other, and then Rollins loses, so, you know, Owens is going to win that Sunday. It's like, cool, have other people fight each other. You don't have to beat a dead horse all the time. Go in, that's how a go-home show is supposed to be. And now someone interfered. We saw Rollins get a spot. Everything's cool. and went off the air. No lingering. No nothing. Boom. Right into the paper. Yeah. Have it settled there. Yep. And I also like what we've seen in the company. And it's actually been going on I, ever since around the time of, uh, of you know, WrestleMania season. I kind of like this whole whether the guy wins or loses. In fact, all the instances I think of they've lost. I remember there's a triple threat with Styles. Um, and it also had, uh, I believe it also had Zayn in it um, yeah. earlier around, the rest, around WrestleMania time. Then we saw the Ziggler, um, um, Am, uh, Wyatt. If Wyatt wins, he gets a shot in it. And then oh, a couple of weeks ago, Reigns and Owens. I kind of like the fact because for at least for a few weeks, it makes you stop and think, oh, is it going to be a triple threat or it'll be one-on-one? And sometimes, depending on who that guy is, when it was Wyatt, I was not in, in, in full circle. And in hindsight, Ambrose and Ziggler wasn't that good at SummerSlam. But I think it would have been a lot worse if Wyatt was involved, quite frankly, even though um, there's still plenty to... There's plenty of positives about the Wyatts, but let's be real. They've jumped the shark. That Their window is closed as far as being relevant, as far as making an impact. Even I still though they like still the are, At least Bray is. I do, too. And I think Bray is still a really cool character. But it's just hard to take him seriously when you know he's just going to lose at the end. Yeah, they and just got to make him all, strong. And Bray's exactly, 27, all, but you got to book him strong sooner or later. They do, and it's all a big tease. But my, my, ultimately, I, I kind of like how they do that because, like you said, Get these guys facing other people. We know that some of the best matches, the best matches come from guys not laying a finger on each other um, in the entire buildup. Now, in this, that's obviously not the case. And you, oh, we saw you that with Cena and Styles. Exactly. Great you few. rarely see it. You rarely see it. But when you do, it works. Because you know they're going to bring it at the pay-per-view. And as long yep. as that's the case, we don't got to see you wrestle. I know Owens yeah. and Rollins are going to bring it this Sunday. Yeah, I don't have to see them wrestle each other five times before then to show me that. Um, and the crazy thing is, you mentioned Styles Cena. The first one, as good as it was, I saw that live. It, it, it paled in comparison to the second one because, for obvious reasons, Ring Rush, it was the first time they worked together, and it was still a great match. And SummerSlam was great. Su SummerSlam was phenomenal. So, uh, you know, no pun, yeah, no I was pun intended. Say, so, hey, I like what you did <laughs> no. there. Yeah, no, no pun intended. But um, and I, I kind of like it. It, it. it could be an interesting dynamic where these guys just want to tear each other's heads off all week. You get some good promos. 
get good video packages, which is what they always do. I'll give them credit for that. They know how to hype a match, even though it, it may not seem great initially on paper. So sometimes when they do those kind of you know promotional methods and um, anticipation builders, I, I think it's cool. All right, let's uh, run down Night of Champions real quick. Let's, Winners and let's losers. Do it. Alicia Fox Got versus it. Nia Jax, which I'm assuming Jax. is on the pre-show that no one even yep, knows is I'm, going on. But squash no. match, Nia Jax wins. Squash match, squash match, Jax, hands down. I um, hope she uses a power be, bomb though. It needs to be yeah, a perfect be, finisher. To be completely honest, I'll probably forget about this one and then maybe tune into it later <laughs> on the <laughs> network or something. Because um, I, I I never watch the pre-show very rarely. Um, in real time, I'll usually catch it later. Sometimes you'll get a good one, but this uh this won't be one. I'm watching all this on Monday because I'm covering a music festival in Vegas this weekend. Life is beautiful, so I'm booked up all weekend. So I gotta just smash everything into Monday. So all UFC, any boxing, wrestling, all that stuff is. My day on Monday. So I'm glad I get to just take my time. If I got to fast forward through that one, I'll fast forward. I just need to see the finish. Uh, but Nia Jax wins, hopefully via powerbomb. We have a Cruiserweight Championship match. TJ Perkins versus Brian Kendrick. I say TJ Perkins, this is his highlight match. This is coming out party on the main roster. He's going to put on one hell of a show. Kendrick is the ultimate, ultimate put over guy for this Cruiserweight division. He's Jericho. For these yep. cruiserweights. And he's going to make TJ Perkins look great. This is why Cedric Alexander couldn't win that match. This is why other guys in there couldn't win that match. It's because they can't take an L right out the gate. You have to build up their stories. Kendrick can take the loss right out the gate. And, and he'll and be fine. And they've, hyped, and they've hyped Kendrick up. If you even just listen to commentary, because, um, you know, professional wrestling commentary is definitely something you may want to handle in small doses unless it's, you know, uh, Mauro Ronaldo and a few select other ones right now. Corey but Graves. if you listen to even the yeah, guy Graves, yeah. Well, you listen to Graves and some of the other guys on Raw talking, emphasizing this career turnaround for Kendrick in a way that 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 legitimizes him to the point where yeah, he's obviously at least in my opinion he's obviously going to put T.J. Perkins over. But he kind of is heading into the matchup with a lot of I guess you could say a lot momentum. of momentum. Yeah, a lot of momentum. momentum. Yep. Um, yeah. We have Cesaro, like Cesaro versus Sheamus. Game seven. Uh, Sheamus yep. is about to take the L like the Golden State Warriors. <laughs> if Sheamus Cesaro, for some reason wins this, it's a biggest crock of shit ever. Cesaro needs to be put yeah. over. He needs to be strong. If Sheamus, if Sheamus, if Sheamus wins this, it would be it would be like the LeBron block never happened. Yeah, that's what it, it would <laughs> essentially be. Sheamus yeah. has to take the L, losing the three zero. Uh, I guess lead in the series would be great. I thought this was how it was going to go the entire time. Cesaro, I just want it to be a great match, though. I haven't seen Sheamus have a real great match in a while. And Cesaro just kind of does what he does now. I, I miss the days yep. of him just putting on, you know, superb matches. The him Cena matches, all that stuff. He hasn't been paired with someone who could really push him in a while. And no. that's why I want to Sheamus. Yeah, because Sheamus is a good worker. Like, yeah, his character has been stale for God knows how long now. Eternity. But at the same time, he he can work, he can brawl, and he is he can be fun to watch with the right opponent. Cesaro can make anybody look good just because he's one of the best wrestlers in the company. Some may argue the world, but again, the way he's been handled, um, he, he Cesaro has a lot of Ambrose type qualities to me as far as the way well Ambrose has a good before. character they just don't let him use he, his full character exactly Cesaro doesn't have I, a character true and I think the similarities lie in the fact that 
They're insanely over. Cesaro is actually a better worker than Ambrose, technically, even though I think Ambrose is a very good wrestler in between, you know, in between the, uh, the turnbuckles. But Cesaro just kind of has this feeling about him to where no matter what he does, he's kind of where he's at now. I just, and it's sad. I kind of feel he'll always be there unless a major change happens with his character. And a lot of unless he was on SmackDown like he belonged. Yeah, if he exactly. loses his best of seven, that's the only good thing that can come of it. He says, I'm done with Raw. I'm leaving. I'm going to SmackDown. And I sit exactly. And then and he could be IC similar- champion day one. And that's why Ambrose, I think, is thriving there, getting in this title picture with uh, Styles and Cena. And yes, SmackDown is top heavy, but that works to Cesaro's favor because he wouldn't be—he wouldn't have to worry about, I guess you could say, the uh, being so spread out on Raw with the three hours getting lost in the afterthought with a roster that's, I guess you could say, designed a little bit differently than um, SmackDown's roster. So I definitely think that would be superior for Cesaro. But as of now, I think he gets the win over Sheamus. I think he looks good doing it. I just hope there's some progression with his career because, again, that Ambrose comparison really much just comes from the fact that you have a guy who's over, people love him, he's a good wrestler, and people really want him to succeed. And every time he gets you know, the small hints of a push, it's the the rug swept out from underneath them. So well, with we'll Cesaro's been injury, here. yeah. So you know, it's yeah. somewhat his doing as well. Uh, talking right. about someone similar mode, Sami Zayn versus Chris Jericho. Jericho should put him over unless his feud goes one more pay per view, and Sami Zayn loses because you know Sami Zayn is the lovable loser. He has to lose <laughs> a lot of times before he can win one. Um, he's another guy just stagnant. Him versus Miz for the IC title in SmackDown would have been great. They've missed the boat on so many yeah. of these things. Um, but here, we'll see if Saint Zayn can pull it off. I'm just still waiting for him to become El Generico again. As one of the greatest baby faces in independent wrestling history, the guy was super over. People still chant, ole, 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 for him. And you've been, you've been, and you've been harping, you've been really, you know, running that, running that bandwagon for quite some while. Yeah, because like, I knew Sami Zayn. You want Generico to return so bad. And that's it, it, it man. It doesn't look like it's going to happen. Sami Zayn but, you know, you look- is a jobber. El Generico <laughs> has potential. That's just the fact of the matter. Sami Zayn is, is not going to be a champion. He's not going to be high level. As far as, you're right. And as far as the creative direction um, and how he's handled, that's actually probably a pretty accurate statement. But then you just look at him, you take the mask off, he's ultimately the same wrestler. And that wrestler has been in, I don't know, what, four or five matches a year, candidates. But this you have year to have alone. a character to be a champion. You do. But at the same time, you know what it is? Don't get me wrong. I want to see Sami Zayn be a champion someday. But sometimes, guys just have to find their niche for a little bit. Look at all the great technical wrestlers and great, you know, workers who had a, who actually did have charisma, because, you know, plenty of them don't, but they actually did have charisma and mic skills and just kind of had a way to around. And, yeah, I think a few years ago, I definitely would have been like, oh, push Zayn. He needs to get his title shot ASAP, like, you know, any, uh, any big indie technical wrestling purist type of guy like I am would, um, you know, would, would really push for. But now I kind of have really reflected on it as a whole, and I see the way the, the two brands are shaping out in the wake of the draft and the way the company direction is currently going. And I'm thinking, you know what? With the guys that they have into the forefront right now, there is a place for Zane. Yes, it will need character development, and it will need a, a bit of an edge or whatever that may be, whether it be more of an aggressive side or more of you know, just a humorous side. Like it needs America. a mask. That's that's Brought all it out. needs. You're and, looking for what I it think, is. It's a mask. That's all he's you know missing. What? It may be, 
Kevin Owens Maybe needs to powerbomb him. They need to fake the injury. And the next week, he has to come out wearing the El Generico mask and be like, I'm the number one contender. Use the funny, broken Spanish. Be like yep. the goofy, luchador guy. He'll sell a million masks, and he can challenge right then and there Kevin Owens for the main title. And everyone and will know, of- like, hey, this guy looks kind of like Sami Zayn. No, no, me soy El Generico. And then to just roll off with that. And just keep and the brilliant- going. And it'll be genius. And the brilliance. <laughs> I love how on the end of the show where we're like, I can't tell where to jump in here. No, because like I, but I, I agree with you. Like the brilliance of, uh, as you know, we wrap it up here. The brilliance of, um, of the Zane Owens feud. It's, it's something that you could just bring up every couple of years out of your back pocket and make it work. So if you were to launch, you have a platform to launch El Generico from, that would undoubtedly be it. But as far as watching Zane, I will never not be entertained by him because of how great of a wrestler he is. I still enjoy watching Jericho work as well. I know you may have a differing opinion on that. I think this could be a good match. I, see, I think Jericho puts him over in around a 15-16 minute um, match that has some good spots and, you know, just really nestles nicely in there in the mid-card and hopefully, um, you know, Zane gets the reaction. He Big Zane gets the reaction, he gets the excitement and the entertainment, they, they, they get the crowd going, and at least that way he stays somewhat fresh and he picks up a win without just continuously losing. Because at this point, if Jericho is wrestling, he should be jobbing most of the time. I have Jericho winning, I have this feud going one more pay-per-view, and Zane exacting his revenge. Um, uh-huh. Next wow. match, Rusev versus Roman Reigns. I have Roman Reigns winning, going over, becoming the United States championship champion. And this is the championship he can defend, he can grow, he can build a character from. He doesn't have to be rushed to the main spot. He doesn't have to be the guy. This is a spot for him. This is something he can hold. I'm not sure if they have enough heels to challenge him going down the road for this title. But we will get there when we get there. Reigns goes over on Rusev. I agree. I, I like that theory or that approach. Cross that bridge when we get to it. Everyone's always so concerned about What's Reigns going to do? How's Reigns going to be booked? How are the fans going to react to Reigns? Well, guess what? You got to take it one match at a time. Reigns has proven that he can work solo and work good solo matches. I'm, I've never been a huge Rusev fan, and I have not been a huge fan of the feud, but I think maybe they could turn out a decent, you know, one of those, um, those hard-hitting, brawling, smash-mouth type of matches, uh, and I think, I think it could be at least decent for what it's built up to be, and I think Reigns does get the, uh, the win in the U.S. title. Next match after that, then, we have Charlotte versus Sasha Banks versus Bayley. One of the matches we see that you were talking about earlier, that they tease these triple threats, tease tease these triple threats, and we get it. Bayley's thrown into the mix. It should make for a really good match. This is a match I think, you know, it's... This is WrestleMania-worthy. But we saw how good the triple threat at WrestleMania was. This could be a similar type of bout. Yeah, and... And, you um, know, Bayley... I don't want to say so it's a waste Bailey, here, so over. but it's it's Go ahead. it's a great match though. It's a great match for this caliber of pay per view. Yeah, it really is. And Bailey, Bailey, insanely over. Um, you know the, the NXT contingency is always going to follow her. Uh, the the fact she's already in this match not too long after debuting on television, there was some you know so obviously controversy with the last uh, Charlotte Sasha Banks pay per view match um, at SummerSlam. But if anything, this this whole the whole women's division because you know how it started as the the divas revolution and then it kind of mixed up again and got like a, this became a big you know just a big mess and now it's kind of a little more refined once again 
because they, they realize now what they want to do with each title, whether that be Becky Lynch on SmackDown or, or, the, or the crop we have here on Raw. So it's kind of cool. It seems organized. I think the match quality could be really good. And it's actually kind of hard to predict because Charlotte, obviously, her first run was so long, she loses it, she gets it back. A lot of times when champions get it back so soon after initially losing it, they don't hold it for too long. But I don't know, um, I don't know if they're ready to strap it on Bailey, and I don't know if they're going to get it so quickly back to Sasha after just dropping it to, to Charlotte. So it, I, I think I may, I don't know, it's, it's tough. I think I may go with Charlotte here just to maybe carry it out another month, then maybe on the next Raw pay-per-view. You, you do a one-on-one with her and maybe then who knows, maybe then you do a one-on-one with her and Bailey and let Bailey take it or at least let Bailey compete for it. So I don't know. I think I'm going to pick Charlotte, but I, I think this could be a very, very good match. I'll take Sasha again. Um, I think Charlotte is building her f- next feud, which is with Dana Brooke. So I think Dana calls Charlotte. Um, uh, Sasha wins it. Bailey goes on maybe to feud with Nia Jax. And I think maybe Paige comes back to feud with Sasha to just give a, a new wow. feud. Like a feud we haven't <laughs> okay. seen before. Um, see, see, that's, see, that's interesting because, again, that's, that's what this whole women's division is. There's still a lot of, you know, um, talent, there's a lot of talent there that's been here for a while before the NXT crew came up that have kind of been on the back burner a little bit. Uh, initially, obviously, they were all incorporated together with, what, Team Bad, you had Paige, you had the Bellas, and they were all in that same mix. And then, obviously, now, as, as time has gone on, it's become clear with who are the, the true title contenders and who are the big-time players and kind of who's just going to you know be nestled in the back. But there are talented workers who can still be brought back into work with these, um, you know, with these insanely talented uh, female wrestlers, and they've just been on fire. Some of the matches are are great. Some of the matches aren't are too great. But that's going to be the case in any in any form of professional wrestling, regardless of the of the performer, regardless of the management and the company. So this is just it's something cool to see. You know, Charlotte, Sasha Banks, and Bailey getting their own promo on on television for their for their triple threat title match. They're stars. I think, like, I'm actually really excited for this one. That's what's great. These three are stars. It's can they build other stars around them? I think Becky on SmackDown is a star, but she has no one to truly compete with. That's still very developmental on that side. But they have four-star women, and it's how you use them strategically to get to WrestleMania and SummerSlam every year. Then that's that's what I think is the biggest challenge of the women's division. You have to plug in everyone else every now and then, but somehow these four-star women have to be headlining your show at WrestleMania and SummerSlam every year. Um, agreed. Next match, Very New much Day, agreed. which we touched on earlier. New Day versus Gallows and Anderson. I gave my prediction. Gallows and Anderson take the straps. Not much to talk definitely. about. We already said it. They, they, they should, and I definitely think they will. I think it will be a fun match. Um, even though the TV spots that they have been doing in the past couple of weeks have been far from, uh, um, I guess you could say tolerable, at least in my taste. But now that that doesn't matter, you're going to meet in the ring. And I think it could be it could be a fun tag match, and I think the result alone, if if it goes as we believe it will, with the um, with Gallows and Anderson being victorious and becoming new champions, if that outcome ultimately is the outcome that we get, it will automatically enhance the match because it's going to be something new and something fresh. Sometimes matches, sometimes matches are. You know, I mean, well, it's actually not even a hot take for me to say this. It's undoubtedly matches often. Um, how they're remembered or even just how they're perceived will be determined by the booking. Think about how much better of an event WrestleMania 32 may be 
in retrospect, if the booking was a little bit better, or even SummerSlam. So booking is crucial, and I think regardless if the match is good or not, it will be enjoyable simply if we see a new champion. So I think that will happen. Uh, we both like Gallows and Anderson to top the New Day, and main event time, this is, this is uh, definitely fun. Owens, Rollins, we'll, we'll get out of here on that. Uh, who do you like? I'm taking, man, I'm taking uh, Kevin Owens to win, and I'm taking trips to show up and cost Rollins again. Honestly, honestly, we're doing this over the phone, but we might as well have met right before we did this and shared our ideas and just decided to agree because other than what, the triple threat uh, women's match, I'm pretty sure we're dead on on all of these picks, and this is, the, um, this is just yet another one that we agree on. I think Owens tops Rollins. Owens needs to remain the champion for obvious reasons, and Rollins could, can definitely work as a face. Everyone wants to see the Rollins Triple H um, feud. I thought it would happen sooner. I thought it would initially happen when and Rollins Mania. first came. Yeah, when Rollins or just when Rollins first came back, if anything. Okay. But the way Rollins came, yeah. But the way the Rollins came back and they did the whole thing with the shield, that was awesome. Now him getting uh, you know screwed over by Triple H. Fans love that Owens is the champ. The match quality, as far as the work rate can be absolutely outstanding. Like I think this really could be a massive year candidate um, contender, and it's really not a big stretch for me to say so, just given who's involved. But I, I Triple H appearance, the screw over Rollins would be perfect because Kevin Owens, I'll tell you this, Kel, Kevin Owens is the type of wrestler where, you know, the whole, not this way, damn it. He, he You know, he, he just yada yada screwed, yada yada so-and-so. It works it's, for it's, him. It's, it's, it's rhetoric, and most people don't like it because it's either it's either stale or it's either just really stupid, and it's 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 um, someone who they don't like. For him, people want to see that. Kevin Owens is the type of guy who's so good at being a heel. When I feel when he cheats, when he's dirty, when he does something non-conventional, people are going to freak out, even if it's against the WWE's biggest golden boy. It doesn't yeah. matter. It doesn't matter who it is. Like people want to see Owens do Owens things. And Kevin Owens things are dirty, are, are dirty, low tactics mixed in with outstanding skill and athleticism, along with maybe to me the best character um, uh, personality-wise you have in the company right now. Yeah, so I people, mean, slightly if, behind if Nakamura. Trips comes in, yeah, and if Trips comes in and screws over Rollins, not only are you setting up a, a cool feud there with Triple H, who a lot of some people may want not to not see on camera, just work behind the scenes, but he's been gone long enough. And he, he is so, he is still so good as a heel. I think people forget that with his promos, with his match quality, as long as he's, he's booked with someone who could, who could work with him the right way at this, at this point in time, you know, as a part timer, I still very much enjoy seeing Triple H because Triple H, if anything, say what you want about the ego, the politics, the booking, Triple H, it's very much Triple H's vision right now, and Triple H is still as entertaining as they come. So I'd love to see him get involved. Screw over Rollins, have Rollins, um, you know, go after, go after Triple H, and have Owens just have yet another title defense, a good match against Seth, and see what's up for him in the future. So yeah, that's, I, that that rounds out my prediction. Yeah, I I completely agree. I mean, that's what's next. Rollins, Triple H build their feud. I think it was a legit reason why Triple H didn't show up after costing Rollins the last time. It can't be coincidence that he hasn't shown up since. They're building to this. They wanted people to kind of forget about Triple H, and then boom, he cost him again. And Rollins is fed up this time. And then you just keep building the feud and building it and building it. And I know people get upset because when Rollins first became champion, he was the cowardly champ and all this stuff. 
but he was the most athletic guy in the company. He was he had the looks to be a legit champion. Kevin Owens, you can do the exact same plan with him, and he's not a cowardly guy. Kevin Owens is win by any means necessary. He's the fat guy who shouldn't be champion. He doesn't care how he got there, and he'll do anything to keep the belt. So for his character, it works perfectly. For Rollins, it looked like he was a coward. Now Triple H can save Kevin Owens every damn time because beforehand, it's going to be an amazing match. The only thing that changes is the finish, and you're building to something meaningful. It's not J&J security. It's building to a meaningful feud in the future, and it's perfect timing. Perfect timing for that. And and we'll see who his next challenger is. This would be a great time to get Cesaro into the main event picture. He might never take the strap off of Kevin Owens, but have them battle for two pay-per-views. And they have great chemistry. And the, and the beauty about that with Kevin Owens is that he's just, like, he's so, the way it is a lot of times, I think, with, with wrestling is that some guys just can't work both equally. Seth Rollins has the move set to where he could really get over as a face. High flyer, athleticism, showy, performer, um, you know, again, great body, incredible, just and, and great look. Owens looks like a guy you won't like, especially when you see him carry himself on television the way he does. And even though Owens is popular enough and a good enough mic worker and wrestler to obviously work safe if he absolutely needed to, why do that? Rollins, it could be a luxury. Owens, I don't want to see Owens as a face. I want to see Owens as a heel, pretty, unless it gets to the point where they don't know what to do with them and there's nothing new and they have to do it. For the time being, though, I want to see Owens as the dirtiest, most maniacal, vicious, ruthless, but also kind of like comedic, cowardly type of heel, kind of like going back to the, some of the older, the older school guys we saw you know, when we were younger, the kind of guys who could, who could kind of uh, bring in all these different types of emotions. You could, they, you could laugh at them and make fun of them, but also boo them you know, um, relentlessly because they're, they're just affecting you somehow. That's the mark of a great, of a great heel. Where Rollins, like you said, is, he is a great heel, and I, like, and I like the coward heel gimmick, but at the same time, if you're going to try to truly legitimize him like that and really make him one of your top guys, you're going to want to make him, you know, somewhat, I won't, I won't say threatening due to the, like, the, the type of wrestler he is and the, the type of body type he has, but at least, um, at least a danger to anybody he faces, whether that be heel or face. So Rollins has the ability to do both, and now we get to see it um, with, that with uh, the potential Triple H interference and what is suggested the past couple of weeks to be a Rollins uh, face turn. So it'll be interesting to watch, and, I just, and I, I, I'm really excited to see how those dynamics come into play in that main event. Definitely. It should be a good card. Thank you again for joining us. Let everyone know where they can find your stuff at. Brett Lawson LV, um, uh, well, my Facebook page is Brett Lawson, uh, LV Sports Network for my combat sports coverage, uh, and runreb.com for uh, football analysis, uh, podcast uh, co-hosted with Mike Ramallah, who is the senior writer for runrebs.com. So with me, you get, you get a, a blend of flavors. You get plenty of football and all the, the big four mainstream sports, but you also get plenty of the, of the fun stuff in the quote-unquote fake sports as we just went in with a uh, pro wrestling. So definitely um, a jack of all trades, but then again, that's also just self-proclaimed, but please follow me on Twitter, Brett Lawson LV for all my, uh, for all my coverage and uh, content. It's not real. What wrestling is fake. You just ruined oh. my life. <laughs> I, oh, sorry, the veil sorry, has been lifted. Sorry, Sal, didn't, 
now I'm never going to get invited. I ruined everything. <laughs> I, I broke I broke kayfabe. I broke kayfabe. I'm never going to get invited back to the show. Once again, everyone, thanks for listening. Make sure you follow the show at the corner LSN on all platforms. By now, you know I'm at Kel Dansby on all platforms. Hit us up about the fan appreciation show. Can't wait to do that again and hear from you guys. Until next week, though, we're out. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com